What is cracking, everybody? You are listening to the Playing On Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and thank you for joining me. This episode is brought to you by water. Yeah, that's right. Water. Everybody needs to drink more water. Yes, I'm talking to you and you and you. Everybody, make sure you, whenever you're going to practice, whenever you're going to the tournament, please stay hydrated. It is so fundamentally important to, and I'm being completely serious. I know this sounds goofy, but I'm being serious. I, I When I was younger, I, I took water for granted. And what ended up happening is I think what I thought was happening was with me being fatigued and everything. No, it was just, I was not drinking enough water. You have to drink a lot of water. And just do it, man. Your body is made of like 70-some percent of it. Your brain is like 90% water. So please, do your body a favor. Do your brain a favor. Drink some water. Even if you're not playing paintball, just on a daily basis, drink some water, please. Big shout out to water. Um, But in all seriousness, uh, this episode is brought to you by a little company called Melovio. They are a CBD company that I have been dealing with for a few years now. I, w- I say dealing with, but I, I, I would like to maybe rephrase that to working alongside just for the simple fact that uh, I have been able to help them out. They've helped me out. And it's because the product is amazing. I thoroughly enjoy using really everything that they have, um, which is anything from like the tinctures, like the oils to the gummies to, uh, and not limited to capsules, salves, like uh, topicals. They have pre-rolls. They have solid uh, flour, honey, uh, also a bunch of pet uh, CBD that I enjoy giving to my pet because I know he enjoys it. He's a happy little dog. And, um, and yeah, they also have tea, coffee. And a, a big thing that they have going right now that is uh, they like to team up with uh, some locals some other local vendors, uh, they do this with their honey as well. They, uh, with the, um, the, the veterans over there in the Virginia area and all the, all of the proceeds from the honey goes to the, uh, the veterans association over there. So, uh, that's a giant thing. And it's to be able to come for full circle is, is awesome. Um, so what they're actually doing um, right now is they have, and believe me, we're all trying to convince our wives, our girlfriends to just more paintball, please. Like that's 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 the time that I want to spend is, is more paintball. Just give me a little bit more paintball. And a way that you could possibly do that is... Melavio has uh, these new jewelry bath bombs. So, guys, I know that you've probably heard all the girls listening. I know you've, I know you know what bath bath bombs are. But uh, maybe for a little gift for your wife and or girlfriend, uh, you could do these jewelry bath bombs. And what they are is inside the bath bombs are custom, they're handmade custom uh, pair of crystal earrings from Clementine Vintage. Clementine Vintage. It's a local antique store uh, over there by Melavio, and they're getting eaten up. So make sure you uh, you 
you either email them, call them up, see if they have any available. And uh, it not only helps out uh, Melavio, but also some other local uh, some local vendors and companies out there. So that's awesome. Make sure, guys, if you do are if, if you are going to order online, you can use the promo code capital T P O P, and you will get fifteen percent off that cart. Oh yeah! So check them out. Uh, another big shout out to Charm City Paintball. If you guys are looking for uh, some new headgear, whether it be a head wrap or a headband. If, uh, if he has something on his Facebook or his Instagram that you like, go, go ahead and make sure you snag it up. He also uh, can do some custom uh, some custom sewing, which is hands down some of the, the best uh, headgear and just quality that I've ever seen in a headband. Uh, there's, there's no sublimation. It's all fabric. It's all thick. It's heavy. It wears nice. Uh, right now he has some pretty good deals going on some some designer like fabrics but uh, he also has a bunch of vintage camos uh but yeah he's also been making his own uh his own kind of tie-dye version of uh of some headbands and some designs look really nice i have uh, i have one in hand it's a nice but the other ones on there are sick make sure you guys uh hit them up that's charm city paintball on facebook and instagram and uh, let him know that Carl from the Playing On Podcast sent you over there. The guest today is Joe Barrett. Joe Barrett. You guys have probably heard of the name. He has been making his way up the ranks. Uh, he's pl- he's from the New England area. He has played for teams such as DMG, Damage. Uh, he's now currently residing on the Aftermath squad. And... Uh, a lot of those guys, a good handful of those guys are from the DMG group who, man, were a, a, a rough bunch of hooligans who just like to shit on people's parades, man. They were they were good. And now all back together again uh, on this in this aftermath camp under Mike Hinman, which is scary. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really, really interesting. And Joe is a great guy. I'm so glad that I was able to sit down and chat with him. Just especially because I was so curious at his, I've heard so many stories about him. That he's, he's, but yeah, he's he's the nicest guy. He has a crazy spider story, and uh, he's just an overall positive human being. And it was a pleasure talking to him. And uh, and yeah, I think you guys are gonna have a have a great time listening. So here it is. Here's the podcast with Joe Barrett. You know, you'll quickly find I'm a I'm an open book. I'll pretty much say everything that's on my mind. Yeah, dude, and that's I'm I'm in the same boat. You know, I'm I'm one of those. I'll I'll I won't. I'm big on like saying on you know things on how I feel and my opinions on things, but mm-hmm. I'm not big on like I think it's such a waste of energy on like degrading people and just being like I'll be real with you, yeah, yeah. but just like talking shit about people and like I. Yeah. I dabbled a little bit in that when I was young and just naive and kind of an asshole and everything. And I was like, you know, as I grew older and my, you know, realizations came and and everything just kind of started falling into place. Uh I was like, you, you realize how much time and effort is, how much effort is put into time and how much time you don't actually have and how much you should regulate your time into positive things Yes. into things that would just help you grow and 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 help others grow and that 
there was there was a saying I heard that frustration is a waste of energy. It's it's it sounds super cheesy and corny, but it is. It's like you you, you think about those last three seconds that just happened. Like you can either you can either sit there and think about like positive things and moving forward, or you can sit and be frustrated about what just happened. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that little simple example, which hopefully makes sense to most people, will um you know is you know and, and people you get frustrated. It's it's human nature, right? Things happen. You get mad. You get frustrated. But the longer that you stay frustrated. And the longer you try and or you you just dwell on something, I feel like is such a time suck, and you 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 get kind of caught up in this like woe is me or this should have happened or I should have this. And, then, and instead of being like that just happened, it's you know let's move on. Obviously, it's not that easy all the time, but you just like anything, I think you learn how to live with things or you learn how to adapt and you know just like in paintball just you know bringing it back you 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 learn to adapt the ones the ones that are the the best out there whether it be individual or whether it be team are the fastest adapters and the fastest decision makers and the fastest positive uh direction decision makers and you know that's what i think yeah yeah I uh, I agree with everything you said there 100%. I think you articulated it perfectly. And, uh, you know, it's a nice topic to hit, especially for young rookies or fans watching, is it's not just about your game and your gun skills, but it's about your mindset. And to me, it's not even just frustration that wastes time. It's, it's negativity as a whole. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you can switch to that mindset, which I'm sure was similar for you, uh, timing is like, normally by the time you're past that 21, 22 time period and you're, you're caught up in your own ego and you're cocky and you're arrogant and you're young and making mistakes that are oftentimes completely to blame on you, you mature into that next point of going like, man, a lot of this is on me and a lot of the ways that people are interacting with me is my fault. Like it's because I'm coming at them negatively. Mm-hmm. You know, even if sometimes it's justified, I'm I'm coming at them negatively rather than positively. How can we communicate and connect and fix this? I'm coming at them with rah rah rah. I'm right or yelling at them, and it it doesn't click well. And you know, positivity is one of the biggest uh, uh, beliefs and like huge topics that I try to push. Anytime I have these talks, like normally, you know, when it's like, how do you want to end this? My last message is like, be positive because it, it did so much for me in changing my life. Uh, as soon as I stopped uh, being the victim and taking things personally mm-hmm. and realizing like, okay, shitty things do happen. There's things that frustrate me, but that's just an experience happening to me. I'm not that experience. Like I'm not that failure or I'm not that person coming at me that way. You know what I am? I'm the reaction to that. So if my reaction is positive, if it's coming back at them positively, or it's coming back at the negative situation with, well, that's not just a loss, that's a lesson. That mm-hmm. situation sucked, but what can I take from that to fix me and be better for next time? All of a sudden, it's like your life just changes for the better. Yeah, the, uh, absolutely. And, and to add to that, you know what you bring to the situation is the situation right it's it's whatever you are because you are the one experiencing this situation and whether or not you 
you interpret it in a way where you you know you bring in negative vibes don't be surprised that you're going to get negative vibes from people and and Ooh. what i think a lot a, a lot of people do a lot of people you know, narcissists or 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 anybody in in a kind of power stature i think what they tend to do is the positive people and the people that you know try to bring people up and 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 keep everybody on a, on the same page i think a lot of people in that position think that we're really naive and mm-hmm. and I think the, the big mistake with that is being naive is and I've been on both sides, right? I, I've come up. I was naive. I was but, but always learning. I, I've, I've always wanted to learn. But there was there was there were times and I think a lot of people I'm not going to speak for everybody, but at least for myself, there, there were times when I was I was learning. I was coming up and that learning window for me, I would I would close because what would happen is the the handle on that door would be my ego and it would, mm-hmm. and I would close and I would close that learning window because I thought I knew enough right I, I knew enough and I would close that learn that learning window and when, and when I noticed that happening I noticed that I was becoming more and more of a person who didn't care what other people thought of me but not in a good way but more of like I'm gonna do whatever I want you know fuck you you know, mm-hmm. rather than being okay, how do we how do we figure this out, and how can I become more of a a tool for this team and for myself to mm-hmm. to further the whole situation? You know, I was very I, I started really thinking about myself in that moment, and then when I started opening that door again, I, I felt so much freedom um, from not only the stresses of of pressure on my shoulders from thinking I needed to do everything, but also to just noticing more people trust me and, and, and noticing other people notice that I am trusting in them. If that makes any sense. Yes. I, I, I think it makes complete sense. I think it's you, when you become open-minded and you allow yourself to be open, almost like to the point of being like vulnerable and, Mm -hmm. and, and being okay with maybe I'm not right, you know, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but I don't know for sure. That's when the things change to give you that more freedom. Because as soon as you think I'm right, I've calculated this all, and based on my beliefs and my past experiences, I am right. It's kind of like people who just believe like a fact or a religion or whatever to the fault, whether someone shows them fact or not you're now closed minded and closed off to connecting with those people mm-hmm. because now it is you're not willing to accept like I think I know but maybe I do maybe I don't now it's just I know and yeah. somebody can come to you with something that might be helpful or might help you guys meet in the middle and fix things but you're already thinking well if you don't believe it's my way then I guess you're wrong right right and, and, and it is such a balance game because you have to, and this is all tying into like mindset of, of paintball and life, I, I think, uh, in general. And I think it all ties into like of a balance, right? Because you have to be able to, you have to be able to gain trust in your experiences and, and be able to stand firm on those experiences to be able to say, no, like this, this does work. You, you, you need to believe me that this does work, but then be able to, on the other end, be able to, to have an open hand and be like okay like let's yeah let's figure this out maybe we can mash both of these ideas together 
and come mm-hmm. up with one. Or maybe maybe my thought process wasn't 100% on this, but you have to be able to stand on both feet because you can only do one or the other for so long. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's great when you can come across a team where you have a, a variety of personalities but all the same principles. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. I think that comes with, uh, similarly to like what you said before, where when you're positive, more positive things happen. When you're negative, you get negative people come back to you. Um, did you ever read the book or watch the movie, the secret? No, I have not. If you don't know what it's about and to quickly sum it up, it's basically the fundamentals of law of attraction. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you put something out there, like I say good vibes all the time and people think I'm just a hippie, but it's like you put good vibrations out there and everything in this world is just energy, which runs on vibrations. If you put a good vibration out there, you'll naturally see that you draw more good vibrations in. Like those people in your life that are as positive as you will stick, whereas those people who are negative that you just constantly butt heads with, Mm -hmm. eventually stop hanging out with them or talking with them because they're not attracted to you. Whereas if you were negative, you were a shit talker, you'll get those couple few shit talking friends or teammates and then you just stay in this weird team or friend relationship where it's like, all right, everybody around me has the same fuck you attitude and that's what it is. But that's kind of where you plateau. And even if you have a really good idea, if you believe it's the only right way, it might be a really good way, but you're learning plateaus because that's it. That's the right way. Whereas as you become open and positive, you maybe draw on other ideas that maybe could even fuse with your ideas or correct yours. And the law of attraction brought you a way to break that plateau and reach the next level. And there is no ceiling. You're always able to get better. So, I mean, I think we've all probably heard it a few times. Um, like when you're, how can I best word this? Um, hmm, I lost my train of thought there. Be positive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really just comes down to being positive. I, that could really, I could talk to him blue in the face about positivity, but be positive because, oh, what I was going to say is many very smart, you know, scholars, people's mentors, uh, everyone you've read of in, in the history books throughout time has said, you can be pretty smart from being educated, right? But if you think you know it all, you don't know it all. The, mm-hmm. the smartest person in the room is the person who is able to admit to themselves I'm smart enough to know that I really don't know anything, or at least for fact. So my mind is open to trying to learn and engage and maybe have a hundred other friends or peers' perspectives agree with mine, now maybe I can take it as fact. But as soon as I think I know it all, that's my limit. Whereas if I'm willing to accept I know enough to know that I really don't know anything for sure, now I can excel limitlessly because I can keep getting those those new facets from from different experiences, different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at the same time, it doesn't mean that you're not a realist. You mm-hmm. know, I, because I think we're all realists to a point. 
You know, it's like we we know like if shit is hitting the fan or if if something is, is about that. Like like you know, we're not just like naively out there be like everybody positive, everybody be good. Like if shit goes down, like I I I pretty I know what to do and kind of how to handle it for the most part. Like I'm not just completely blind and like thinking everything is flowers and butterflies. But but it doesn't mean that I can't go into it hoping for the best, being a a relentless optimist. Um, mm-hmm. but, but a, a realistic os- optimist for, you know, for the sake of optimism. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, what, what, what I think works the best is when they're like, we were talking about how you have a team that has, you know, you'll have a team that has different morals and guys who believe in different things and whether it be religious or just morals in general, um, but if you can get everybody on the same page, because you can, you, we can talk about this all the time and be like, you know, positivity and know what kind of results happen from that. But you'll have people that will just be like, no, no, that's not, no, that's not the truth. That's not really, you know, no mm-hmm. matter what you do, you could literally save someone from getting hit by a car and they could be mad at you for pushing them out of the way and they hit their head and now they're mad at you. Like you, you, no matter what you do, <laughs> someone will always disagree with you on, on some plane. But True. in that same realm, you will have a lot of people that agree with you. And I think that is such a great – the world is such a great dynamic, not meaning like you have this good and evil, but you have this just difference of opinion. And I think if if – the pendulum ever swings one way or the other and it stays there i think that's when we're really in trouble as as a society as a as a as a race um as meaning the human race uh what what tends to happen is that once you start getting everybody like-minded there's no challenge for anything you know and bringing that back in not saying it's bringing it back into uh bringing it back into paintball not saying that the nxl is doing a a bad job i think they're doing an amazing job but i think having that mppl and psb kind of back and forth there was always some kind of a challenge to be like no we're the best uh platform for paintball no 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 yeah. no, no we're the best for play you know and so there's that competition that that brings out the best in companies in in uh in players and in, in everything fully agreed i i think anytime there's only one of anything they can reach a very good way at doing something but if there's not that other league or company or teammate or player or coach or whatever testing them then they don't have a reason to go oh they're doing this okay i got to prove on this and they're constantly one upping each other and improving instead it's like well this is good and it's working so let's just keep it here mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah i i would you say you're a are you a religious at all or a spiritual guy or anything like that? I'm I'm spiritual in a sense that there's for me number one there's too many religions for one to be right. I sure. think, um, but the mindset I think is, is is correct. I think I think in in one way or another there's something else. Um, one just by sheer experiences that I've had, uh, I know that there's something after this. I have a just a bag full of like um, paranormal experiences that I've had 
and just it's i love it dude i i love paranormal stuff i love haunted places i love the unknown kind of shit um it's uh it's very weird dude i've i had i had this story a buddy of mine if we want to dive into it a little bit but there there was absolutely legit like possession happened to one of my ex-girlfriends and it was it was the one of the scariest and real things that have ever happened to me in my entire life and and luckily my my buddy was there with me uh to be like no that that happened i like he was right there with me because my my ex uh girlfriend at the time had no recollection of the entire event at all and wow. um <laughs> it was it was it was insane um but then also i've i've always had like w- when i was young i had these dreams and these visions of like in these houses different houses that i used to live in um when i was i was living in a house that my family owned uh here in town i always had this dream of this guy like standing in the corner of the basement come to find out in the 70s or something there was a guy that hung himself down there um that i had no idea about there was a house that i lived in in minnesota that was a big like five bedroom farmhouse i just lived with this big group of guys i was in my mid uh, 20s i was playing for avalanche at the time and we lived in this house that i guess was haunted that i learned after the fact because well i kept seeing this fucking black cat like mm-hmm. just the ass end like i i was i would always see it's giving me like weird chills so i I, would, I kept seeing the ass end just go into like random bedrooms like i would i would come upstairs and i would see the cat fucking asshole and legs and tail go into a room and i go in there and nothing nothing it would never go into yeah it would never go into my room though Mm -hmm. and um i'd see it for a while and then eventually i was like dude is does anybody else know where this fucking cat is because i can't find it anywhere and they're like okay number one there is no cat and i was like oh okay and then number two is like everybody has seen it but nobody has seen the front half. It's always been the back half going into people's bedrooms. And I was like, okay, that's freaky. Um, and then we were down in the basement and we were just having like kind of this gathering or whatever. And I think we were actually doing a Ouija board down there and which was not <laughs> smart at the time, but uh. um, we go, we go down there and this, this girl that we had in, uh, a couple friends had invited all of a sudden out of nowhere, dude, no idea who this girl was or anything. And I think this was her first time, like, being to the house, burst into tears, like, threw herself back, burst herself into tears, and was cr- just bawling and wailing and crying. Like, what is going on? Come to find out, she had some kind of vision or something like that. And we talked to our landlord. Um, there was a girl who, in the back corner of the house, was with, like, this boiler room kind of a thing, hung herself on these pipes. In the like, and it was it was insane, dude. This house, I heard, I was on the second floor, no trees or nothing around me, and I would hear I would hear rapping, like on my window, above you know like where my head was when I where my bed was, on the second floor where there was no platform, no trees, no nothing to do that. Every night I would hear some kind of like, tapping, like doesn't matter the weather or nothing like that. And I, I, I was always freaked out, like, in that house. It was it was just super weird. I've And I've had, like, I have more. But anyway, moral of the story, I don't have any kind of religious kind of, like, 
God, Allah, anything like that. I did grow up in, in a semi-Christian kind of um, from like fourth to eighth grade. I was in a Christian or Catholic school. And I never really caught on to the whole thing because I really felt force-fed um, at the time. And when I kind of started learning about the other religions, uh, learning about real life, meaning I went into public high school right after Catholic eighth grade, I learned that uh, real life was a lot different. And it, I, I kind of just – and when I started playing paintball, um, it really kind of brought into perspective the amount of people that were out there and the amount of belief – in, in multiple things that were out there. And then I started learning just about energies and, and just about, um, everything real life in general. I think your twenties is such a good time to really learn and absorb just the world and, 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 and the people in it. And, um, I didn't get to travel really as much as I, as I really wanted to. Um, but I, I did get a sense of just kind of this, this feeling of everybody has this basis of religion or this belief in something. And I just, I just couldn't latch on to one, but the one thing I did get was just like, do unto others, right? Do unto others, um, as you want to be treated. But I think that's also like kind of selfish in a way thinking about it because I, 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 the way I think about it is that like you should want to do shit for people for the most part without ever wanting anything out of it. Yeah. Like just for the simple, just for the simple fact of like, Oh, that person needs help. Like what can I do? Like, I'm not saying disregard everything and help that person out because there might be like, um, you know, you might have priorities set, yeah. but I'm because, and also people need to start helping themselves at a point too. But it's like just just simple, small, little – I just finished a book called Atomic Habits and it's really kind of like – it was a really good book, very good book. And um, just how these little things, just 1%, just changing 1% every day, changing one little thing, one little good habit, this and that, and really how much it can change how you perceive the world, um, your uh, – simulation i guess or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it and that's my rant i guess on my beliefs and religion yeah i <laughs> how about yourself I, I think that was all very well put together and i think i have some explanations for some things like that um you know let's start with the golden rule uh do unto others what you want done to yourself you can see that written in uh, plenty of like, you know, holy texts, you know, like the Bible would say that in a certain way too. Mm -hmm. And then it comes down to the way your pastor, um, what does he do? Like he reads a verse and then it's like his representation of what he thinks that means or like what Catholic or Presbyterian or what a, each translation of a text. But it's like a lot, it gets lost in translation. And what I've realized um, you know, talking to different mentors and going to different workshops and seeing that similarity in several different like religious texts because I was raised Christian as well, but I've also like studied some Buddhism, I've studied some Hinduism, I've uh, read a bunch of the Quran, things like that is it's not being selfish to do unto others what you'd want for yourself because if you read it with the translation of I'm going to do this for them, that way I get this, that's selfish, right? Mm -hmm. But you're not doing it to someone for a positive reaction or gain. You're doing unto others what you'd want for yourself because they are a part of you. Like by being in your reality, 
the way I see spirituality, at least, and what people have told me and what I've gathered from it is we're all kind of very much more interconnected than we think we are. Um, you know, it's a big reason I wear this Om symbol and people say, oh, are, are you Hindi? Like, you know, people from India will ask me that. And it's like, no, but I believe in oneness. Like mm-hmm. I see you as an extension of myself and you may be the, you know, you specifically, Carl, are the Midwestern uh, version or extension of me, whereas I am the Niagara Falls raised, now living in California version of you. Um, but once you can kind of see through, whether it's from a near-death experience or uh, reading the right things, once you see through like the separation and you realize like, oh, that physical body over there is a different physical body and they have a different upbringing and a different perspective, but they are the same consciousness as me, then I feel like you break that. And and what I mean fully by that is, um, you know, like I've, I went to school for psychology as my minor below communications, and uh, I have friends in pretty much every different realm from networking, and I've done a little bit of research, not expert level, of course, not even near, but of like metaphysics and things like that. Mm-hmm. And from what I gather from scientists is that in in every study, there it's not like you have your own consciousness and I have my own human consciousness. Humans are almost similar to a ant colony in that we are one collective conscious. And you can call this hippie juju or whatever, but there is they they can see what your brain activity is. They can they can try to gauge, oh, this is the brain. If I touch this neuron or this nervous system, it makes this finger move. But they can't quite figure out where the mind is. And it's because the mind and consciousness is all one thing. Like humans all have one consciousness, but earth or reality or the universe or God or energy or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. has seven billion of us because there's no way if I was the only person on this earth I could see and experience everything so it's like you know what we need human conscious to go through everything our reality can experience so we'll just pop them up seven billion different times in a bunch of different physical bodies and they're gonna have egos that come with them and that's gonna allow them to experience different things but they're all really one thing and you know, if you learn how to meditate right, like sometimes I'll get to this point where I can see right through it and I can literally look over at, you know, my good friend or my brother or someone in the room or like Tim Brusselback, I'm always over his house and I can be like, man, Tim is literally just me over there. Like he is his own physical person, but we have a oneness in that every little way we interact is perfectly joined and mm-hmm. every cause has a reaction and in that way being spiritual helps because then when you see somebody being weird to you you don't just got to play the victim or go oh what's up with that asshole you can go wait what did i just do to cause that oh i came at them a weird way and didn't fully explain myself and so of course causation reaction that came back to me whereas if i'm always friendly with so and so and that person's always friendly back to me it's this looking in the mirror effect of like, I'm very good to my mirror, so law of attraction, it just reciprocates right back at me. Mm-hmm. It gives me more of what I hope. I'm good to it because do unto 
others what you would want to do to yourself and I'm doing what I would want to do to myself not for me but I'm like if I were them if I were in their shoes this is how I wouldn't want to just be screamed at or cursed at randomly when I wake up so if somebody came into the room and said oh good morning how are you or what are you doing today that's going to react and reflect back to me and in that way the world is very reciprocal because we're just one and all we want is that even vibration and frequency to reflect back at us so mm. there's no jagged misconnection yeah no absolutely man i i agree 100 percent. and we're we all have the same same sparks just the, sometimes the wires get a little mixed around sometimes <laughs> you know and um what kind of uh what kind of meditation do you do you know i uh so it's not like I went to uh, you know a monastery or like a, a monk's temple in the middle of Tibet to learn how to truly meditate um, or to even like uh, disassociate from my body and astral project. But I will say, and it's another thing where people think like, okay, you're just a, a weird a hippie or a wook or something like that. But a wook? Uh, uh, <laughs> What's a wook? <laughs> A wook is, I mean, in, in common terminology is like, you know, a hippie, most people look at that person who's like love and peace and, you know, flower child at mm. Woodstock, right? A wook is the modern day hippie and we might not uh, listen to, uh, you know, Freebird all day and go to Woodstock, but a wook is basically a hippie that listens to like EDM, like people who go to i'm not talking about just somebody who goes to a rave to get fucked up for the night yeah but a lot of the people who go to um you know music festivals where you're at a beautiful scenic area and you camp generally for like anywhere from two to five days um some people just go as tourists and they're there to see the dj they want or they kind of miss the point they're there to you know get drunk or get fucked up on whatever mm. and uh enjoy the party but um you know, those of us that go the right way, we know that it's a uh, transformative experience. And yeah, you're camping. Yeah, there's good music. Yeah, there's a lot of stimulus and things to do. But uh, a wook is someone who kind of lives in that realm. You see them as street kids in San Francisco, where they're kind of just disconnected from the whole uh, chasing fame and and uh, egotistical success in society, because to them, it's about their inner success and growth and they can go oh if i can just like a monk be happy within then i don't need that brand new pair of sneakers or brand new car or bottle service to be happy tonight i can just be happy being here and it just so happens that my version of wook is drawn together by good electronic bass music <laughs> yeah i wonder who comes up with these names i don't know if it's like hey look at that guy and then i kind of <laughs> just stuck or <laughs> Or uh, I have a feeling that you went to Burning Man. I have. Okay. <laughs> you, you <laughs> I do. I do. The whole eight days plus three day after party. Oh man, that sounds interesting. I would I would love to do that. Um, it's life changing. It okay. made me into the me of today. So that's was that's kind of wanted to tie that into the whole um, like meditation and kind of that whole spiritual side. Did did that also come with the weight loss? and the kind of rebirth of, of the new you did the spiritual side and the, and the, the athletic athleticism, um, come kind of all together in one package. It came because of that. 
all the new me, man, you you would not have liked old me. You know, I I don't I don't know how much you like me now or whatever, but like <laughs> I, I like you. I'll I put it out there that. right now. I like you. <laughs> I think you're a great guy too. I I've I've always had a lot of respect for you, and it's I've been looking forward to this conversation. It it truly it makes me very uh, grateful. Um, I appreciate it, man. But uh, you know, back to the point. Uh, that law of attraction, that that positive versus negative vibration. Guys like you, or guys like you know my teammates Tim and Josh, or people like that, you would have not liked me uh, until I was like maybe 22ish. Um, you know, you would have maybe liked me in terms of well, he plays paintball, I like I play paintball, so we're teammates. So I at least we have that in common, and that's what most people have. They're like, well, at least he you know, is passionate about this sport and has an intensity where he's going to try hard to get to the top. But off the field, man, this guy is negative. This guy is not really seeing the way he's treating us. And that's why we're kind of off to him and things like that. Like I didn't see all that. I wasn't very consciously aware. I wasn't very spiritual at the time. I was, you know, coming through high school and college, I was, uh, you know, overweight and less confident and, uh, you know, just addicted to a lot of vices. I just wanted to be, you know, for, for lack of better words, fucked up all the time. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that kept me on track and out of jail or out of being killed in some way or whatever was paintball. You know, it was the one thing where I, I could be, you know, screwing off and just doing the bare minimum to pass school and wasting my potential, uh, five days a week. But, it would get around to Saturday and Sunday, and I'm like, well, I, I love this thing. This is the thing that I seem to be good at over soccer or football or whatever else. So um, I guess I'll take it easy this night so I can go do this thing tomorrow. And that was really the only thing keeping me on track, but it didn't put the rest of my life in balance. So, you know, getting back around to the point of like where meditation or spirituality or whatever brought that to the new me that now people know and they say you know if you ask most people like i really don't think i have any enemies some people might not like me just because we're opposite of the spectrum you know they're very like business oriented or they're just squares and i'm very like my heart's on my sleeve i'm very like open and out there and i'll say whatever whether it's appropriate or not because i'm not a very like uh like censor yourself for pr guy you mm -hmm. know what i mean um they they know the me now because of really that Burning Man experience, like honest to God, like that, it wasn't like I went out there just to go to concerts all night, every night. Um, you know, I coming through college, um, I could talk hours about this, but I guess to sum up the big points, um, and it's fun that I get to talk about this way. I've, I've talked about my career and stuff like that in, in other podcasts with Maddie or Marcelo, but, uh, with this, I get to tell you like the, the reality of it all. And it's like, you know, I'm graduating college, I'm 250 pounds and I am your classic, like stuck in a rut, Western New York, like gangster type person, you know, not like a killer, but like, like those thuggin' wankster white kids you see with their pants sagging and you trying know, to be this, something that you're, that you're not. Exactly. And thinking like, oh, you know, whatever, I, if I wear this like straight brim fitted cap and a bunch of necklaces that I can't afford and the new Nikes every month. And if I have $2,000 rims on my $1,000 Chevy Lumina, like 
this will get girls or this. Oh, so you went that far? Girls. I was, yeah. I mean, <laughs> high school and college, I yeah. had rims on my cars, yeah, and I was into some stupid shit. You know, I can't say everything I did, but like, I. But I think I that was like that was. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think that was a such a period because I can I can relate to it. Um, meaning that there was it's such a period in time for a young man of like acceptance. Right. Yes. And, it, and I think if you're if you're in an environment like that, like you choose your group of friends uh, for the most part, or at least you kind of you, you float towards a certain group of people. But and I can I can totally relate with that, too, because I know a lot of people who have kind of who, who floated a little too far. But I think in a, in a way you probably felt more accepted um, in, in that and in that kind of you kind of you know went more that way and I think that's how a lot of people gain friends or, or at least um, through yeah. high school and towards the end of high school they kind of like they, they find their similarities with people and they find who they gel with and, and might not even agree with all the time but they still just want to be accepted into a group and and yeah. I can I can totally understand where you're coming from school teaches us that that popularity thing where it's very like dog eat dog. And I mean, were you ever that type of guy? Were you ever like a, you know, a young wankster, like trying to be like a, a thug or something like that? So here's, so my, my relationship with that is I knew a lot of people like that who, who were in school. For me, I was more, I, I, I watched jackass and I saw jackass and I relied, I, for me, I relied a lot on my sense of humor because I had, yeah terrible acne all like growing up and through high school so I was always picked on I was always like kind of put um in into this whole category but I love sports here's the thing too is that like you once you play sports too you're put in this category of like a jock asshole like you know muscle head whatever but I enjoyed making people laugh and I enjoyed multiple things besides these other sports that I was good at, your typical baseball, football, whatever. So, like, yeah. I also love to skate, snowboard. Um, I love just, uh, just like I said, making people laugh, a, a sense of humor, dumb shit. Like, the, when the jackass stuff hit, I was like, that's awesome because it's so random and just fun. And, like, Same. it's not, like... It, it, it's like conforming also to like a certain group, but it's not like doing the same thing. And then when paintball came along, I was hooked a hundred percent because it was so much different than anything else that it was kind of put in my way growing up. And it was so different that I, I that's why I kind of went towards it. But dude, I, I, yeah, I completely understand because I saw people fall into that all the time and you look at them now and they're a completely different person. I think every five years you, you change slightly. True. Um, as far as like head to toe, just personality too is like it just you, with your experiences and everything kind of just just get tweaked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, for me growing up, you know, trying to fit in, like uh, I was never just a jock or just a nerd or whatever. Like I, I had a very like chameleon trait of me of maybe I was just good at being the energy that I was around, but yeah. you know, I, I wasn't a great football player. But I was athletic even as a big guy and I could lift a lot so that the, the sports guys all like me because I'm in the gym with them. Um, but all like those weird, you know, like ripped jeans wearing skater dudes and like stoners liked me because I'd be down to get down and party. Yeah. And all, all the kids who just wanted to party liked me because, I mean, I knew how to like throw a cool party in the woods growing up in New York or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, smart kids liked me because – I mean, I was always like an underachiever. Like I never really tried. I never really, I would do homework in class 
like in one class before the next class. And yet I, I graduated school with like a 91 average. So if I had really mm-hmm. tried, I could have been like, you know, whatever, valedictorian or something like that. But I was smart enough to be like a top 20 student without trying. So smart kids would occasionally be like, oh, hey, what's the answer to that? And we could work with mm-hmm. each other. And you would get by. You would get. Yeah. And girls never really liked me much because I didn't know how to talk to women. I would think I had to talk to them in a certain terp way rather than just as a person. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't in great shape. I didn't have abs like all the football guys, but I was funny and I would hang out with them and I would invite them to like play beer pong and whatever. So I got along with everybody, but in a way I was never close with a certain group because I'm trying to be part of everything, mm-hmm. you know? And so that translates into a college of just like focusing on vices, not trying very hard at school, knowing that I just want to play paintball. I don't really want to go into an office job that I'm going to graduate into. And yeah, coming out of college, um, you know, paintball was on the mind. I went to university at Buffalo, not because of the specific school, not because of the degree, but because that school was the only school in my area that had a college paintball club. And I knew that if I went there, I could make it into an NCPA team and then I'd be a coach and play free college ball on a budget. I could learn how to coach, learn how to play the game better, test myself by teaching like woods ball kids how to play X ball and all that. And, uh, you know, afterwards I was like, there, there was no logic to it. You know, I honestly, and people have asked me this before, they're like, did you really think that was going to work? Like in my head, I was like, my parents were like, are you going to take that job? And I was like, no, I'm going to move to Florida. Like right when I graduated, which would have been like, you know, March or April, I'm going to move to Florida and live there for like the nine months until like January or February when damage have tryouts. And I don't even know if I'm going to move there without even a sure shot of being on the team. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure if they're going to let me at the tryout, but I'm going to move down there, show that that's what I'm there for. And I'm going to try out. And I, I can remember my mindset back then. I was like, I'm going to make this team and I'm going to make 50 grand a year or 50 die guns because that's <laughs> probably what Jason Edwards and Chad Bougere are making, which they deserve it. You're not going to pay the new rookie. You're lucky to play free. But it, I don't know this stuff. Like in my head, I'm fully convinced that it's like I'm going to get down there and I'm going to make a living playing paintball right out the gate with a team that's like winning more events than not. They're at least always a top four team. You know yeah. what I mean? And went down there. That's a story in itself. You know, we could talk about that, but like mm-hmm. to sum it up, I shot my shot the the best way I thought I could, didn't make the cut, and then came back, you know, like had a way to get back home to New York to like move back in with my family and refigure things out. And I was like, okay, so nothing you have done until now is working. You can't just be this like guy who's, you know, good at paintball. Like I've been playing for a while. I play more than one day a week. Uh, cause I lived near fields and had divisional teams that would like hire me and whatever. So like I had gun skills, I had coaches like buddy and mentors like Tim that taught me how to play the chess chess game well before I was playing pro. I already knew how to play the pro game mm-hmm. and I was relying so much on like, well, I, I have the IQ and I'm going to win most of my one-on-ones and one-on-twos. This will be good enough. And then that first damage tryout showed me like, oh yeah, but like, you don't treat yourself professionally off the field. You still eat garbage every day. You still aren't in the gym every day. And, uh, you know, you're kind of like, uh, you know, no offense to overweight people, but like the way I saw me was like, 
you're a fat slob version of yourself that you're serious on Saturday and Sunday at the field, but all the other days you fuck off and party every night and get hung over and blow off the next day. You don't read, you don't study. You're the easiest and, version of yourself. Exactly. And, and I tell kids this now, it's like, it's not just about having pro level gun skills. You could probably out snap shoot a pro player a lot of times out of 10 if you just work on that. But that guy's a pro for more reasons than just his gun skills. It's, you know, he isn't uh, smoking bongs on Facebook Live. He isn't <laughs> uh, somebody that a sponsor goes, whoa, we're not going to market that guy. In our, yeah. And he, he isn't a flight risk where it's like, is this kind of guy going to be at practice this weekend? Or do we have to worry about him getting killed in a DWI or getting arrested? Which right. I was a lot very much that guy coming out of college. You know, it's like my life was just very like flying by the wind and inconsistent. And the people that I was living around, especially in Niagara Falls, who were mostly like party animals or like guys that just plateaued as varsity football players. Right. You know, most of, most of them now are honestly, they've been in jail or they're dead from overdoses or DWIs. And that was a lot of my friends group, you know, and the ones mm -hmm. that aren't that are, you know, God bless their souls. They're just, you know, they're married family men doing their thing. They became the managers at the stores they were working at. And, you know, I was a dreamer. I wanted to go further in that and make this into the thing I did. But by hanging out with a big crowd of a lot of those people, it's like, okay, I want to do this. But yeah, you're inviting me to that frat party. I'll go. And, uh, yeah, I came home that, that year after 2012 and, uh, I had from a season of semi pro with static, I had met the guys on DMG, like Tim Brusselback, Josh Hallberg. Um, those were the main ones, you know, Thomas Kim wasn't on the team yet. He was a D three guy. Some of the other guys I didn't really know. I would talk with Shane Howe here and there, but he wasn't one of those guys. And they were like, yeah, hey, when you're not practicing, like come out, see the NorCal life. You, you say you want to try living in Cali someday come out and hang out with us. Oh, you like, you know, dubstep, like come out and go to a music festival. <laughs> and my first one was this three day camper called Enchant Forest. And then a month later that led to Burning Man. And at Burning Man, I remember I was like, I'm going to take this seriously where I come here to use it as a workshop to correct my own character, my own personality, my own things that are holding me back. And it was just eye opening like workshops on like, like being more aware of yourself, like seeing your habits and what they do to affect the things that you want to do. Like, oh, you want to own a business? Well, these habits, you wasting all your money rather than you putting your money into growing a business mm -hmm. are stopping. Or you want to be a pro paintball player, but you're eating pizza and Philly cheesesteaks and a pitcher of beer every day. Do any other pro athletes in any other sports do that? No. Okay. What's going to be different for you? You think you're just going to be the outlier? And it was like eye opening. Like it was like the first time your parents can tell you to their blue in the face, but it was like the awakening for me where I left that experience and I was like, I am the only thing holding me back. Like I have gun skills. I know what to do, but damage didn't pick me up because at the end of that tryout, I remember Jason Edwards and Joey Blute and a lot of the veterans sat me down and I was like, why didn't I make the team? I, I won all my one-on-ones. I won some two-on-ones. I won most of the situationals. I was on the winning team in the five-on-fives. And they were like, well, I mean, 
you're kind of a big guy. Like, where did you choose to play all day? And I was like, the three, sometimes the two. And they were like, yeah, look at the two guys we picked up. They're both ones. You know, we, we, we like the way you play the game, but you're 22 years old and 250. Let's say we pick you up. You're going to be our back center guy, right? Jason Edwards here is in the shape of his life, and he can play every point, every match. So if we pick you up, you're just going to ride the bench. So why would we even pick you up? Maybe you should go back to semi-pro for a year, few years, get in shape, mm. and then next time you come to us, you'll be a guy who can come in and make a difference rather than sit on the bench, never get in-game experience, and therefore never gain their trust, and then never get played. Yeah. And now you're a year behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's you know, it's definitely one of those experiences where you 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 got to find yourself and it starts i think with the blind ambition of of you like going down and like dedicating yourself to being like no like paintball is my passion and it's crazy how like something like that we all have the common ground of like paintball being that thing but how that just stuck and it was like no nothing but no paintball i will sacrifice for this game even though it hasn't done anything for me but make me feel a feeling that I've never felt before, right? Mm-hmm. This this just unadulterated, just just kind of like surge of like joy and rage and just uh, you presence, know, like yeah, just just oh man, that's that's the number one thing with like with paintball. It's like you are so in the moment, and I, I mean so obviously there's a lot, you know, jujitsu kind of shares that too, and but for some some kind of just survival thing like paintball just kind of brought that out, which I've never had before, and it it. it it, there's something weird about it that just you kind of you float towards it and you have this ambition of like no i'm gonna move here like i moved to seattle and i was like i'm gonna pursue my paintball career and instead of going yeah. to college and doing doing this i'm gonna go pursue my paintball career i don't know what's gonna happen but i'm what also helped was being naive and but but mostly is having this this kind of ambition that i've never had before because I think number one too is because with with football, with football and baseball, like I enjoyed baseball more than football, and football was more of a thing where it was just like, it's there. I'm kind of good at it, you know. It's fun at times. I really don't like getting hit, <laughs> but uh, but baseball was fun because I felt like it was more of a challenge because you got to hit the fucking baseball, and that's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, but it was just it. I, I liked kind of. I don't know that that was fun for me, but I was never like pushed to be the best it was just kind of like a high school sport that i would just but but i played baseball for a long time but it was just never like this thing where i felt like i had to work at it like i was like just kind of like naturally good and then paintball came along and i i I was there was some natural aspects that i was good at but i had a, a desire to be better at it and a desire to like figure out everything about it like what else is out there? Are there more markers? Are there, is there a league? Is there a professional? Is there this or the, is there that? And this is, this is within the first couple times of me playing. Like I you know, dove in like just head first right away. You and probably everybody else who's ever played pro, like we're like, <laughs> yeah. whoa, it, the, the hook sunk. Like for some reason, everyone likes it, but for you, you were hooked instantly. Yeah. And in my opinion, that's, that's due to, two big causes, you know, aside from just fun. One is how present it makes you. Like, you know, I think the reason we went full into it went, ah, you know, fuck making more money in this. I want to do this 
because you know every every whatever mentor and uh, philosopher always says like find what you really love doing and make that what you do. You know what I mean? If you find that, you don't work a day in your life. It's better than you could be a lawyer who makes 500 grand a year, but if you hate it, what's the point? You're miserable most of your conscious life. Yeah. So as soon as you realized, oh my God, when I'm sitting in class, I'm thinking about other things. Sometimes I'm thinking about paintball. When I'm working, my mind isn't even there. Like I'm going through the steps unconsciously, but like I'm not there. You know what I mean? My, I'm waiting my, for the weekend because I want to play paintball. <laughs> yeah. Waiting for the weekend, you know? Yeah. And then when you're at paintball, it's not like you're ever at paintball thinking like I can't wait to get back in class. When you're at paintball, you are only right there in the moment. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about the future, you get shot in the face. And yeah. if you're still thinking about last point or bitching about why you got pulled for that penalty and like pulled out of the, the present moment, you're not in at that point, your coach probably goes, oh, his head's not in, he sits yeah. you, or you get shot in the face. So you are present. And then that combined with the other thing of like, you know, you were never really pushed in football or baseball. Why is that? Same reason you weren't pushed in basketball. Because guys like me and you, guys who are 5'10", around 200 pound build, are never ever going to go to the NFL. If you were 6'4", 225 of muscle, some college scout would have been dropping in here and there pushing you and saying, hey, stay with this, we're looking at you. And you would have went, okay, I'm trying hard, but I'm gonna try even harder. And that was a realization to me too, is like, I was good at soccer, I was good at football, I was pretty fast. It was also the norm. Yeah. It was what everybody was doing, it felt like. Yeah, you're falling into the cookie cutter thing, and you're kind of in that norm where you're average like everyone else around you, you're a little better, a little worse than Mm -hmm. some people, you're not the best guy in your class, we are not physical specimens or gifted with extreme height or muscle density or whatever. So it's like, am I ever going to be pro in NBA, MLB, football? Probably not. But when you realize that the gun is the ultimate equalizer and you could be short, tall, big, small, male, female, uh, 17 or 35, you're like, this is that one thing. This is that thing that I do enjoy like those other things. And I could go pro in this, and then you chase it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah the chase was definitely was was fun. It was nerve wracking, mm-hmm. but fun nonetheless. Um, one thing I remember, one thing I remember about you was when you were on uh, you were on Damage. That's when I learned about you and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, we've talked about the whole yeah, fucking a. That when whole... we did the webcast together <laughs> yes. at Invitational, uh, we that yeah, was and fun. I've heard you talk about this in a few of your interviews with Jason and then with someone else, and you brought it up and you're like, oh, I remember that event because it kills me, bro. It kills continue. me. It kills. Yep. Me. But my hat tips to you for that shot, brother. Um, but I uh, one thing I remember, I and I, I I don't know the whole story, and this is something that I wanted to bring up. There was a I don't know what event it was, and I'm sure you'll be able to elaborate on this all this. You were either bit by a spider or like had a like some kind of serious infection where you like yeah. were on like a somewhat of a deathbed. Of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, I was dying. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, what? I, yeah. Please elaborate on the on the on that story. So that is a real ass thing, and all of my friends, my girlfriend at the time, my teammates, all knew that happened. Where, uh, you know, it was after that event that we talk about, um, which for anybody who doesn't know, is the Atlantic City event, um, where 
you know, at the time we were two and one. And uh, if we had lost to you guys, we wouldn't have moved on two and two. And for some reason, the game goes into overtime. You guys are playing out of your minds that event. And I remember, man, I, I owe so much Tim Montrester, but we're in the pits and he calls the line for overtime and he called me as the Dorito front guy. And I'm like, Jesus, that's a lot of trust in your rookie. Like I had been playing a decent amount this event compared to the first two, but uh, he put me in and then it came down to that two on one. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was you and I want to say LJ Parrish in the Doritos like mirrored up with me D2 to D2. And I know the chess game. Like he's not going to just fight me down the wire and risk a gunfight. He's thinking you're across from me in snake 50. So I can't just play fully inside. So the right move, the textbook move is run the highway. Maybe you get me clean at the very least you trade out. Now you go get the buzzer. Right. And I didn't see him on the wire. So I'm like on the wire shooting, but looking further in. And I just knew he had to make that move. If he wanted to do this for sure, get me off the field rather than risk a fight. And I saw him coming and I shot and flinched hard, killed him and then quickly wrapped to see where you went and you were running for the buzzer. And I put a lane in front of our start box and hit you luckily. And then won an overtime point. We went on to finals or Sunday and then we ended up going to finals and losing a close one to Russian Legion. So like, you know, I was kind of playing out of my mind for first season of pro that event. And a lot of it was because of Tim's trust. I was like, nah, I really gotta, you know, make this guy believe in me and stuff like that. Everything goes good. And then I go to play an England event. With I want to I, I elaborate on that a little bit, but I just want to, like, I don't know if I did because I remember I, I, my whole thing was I thought that you guys traded out. And then when I didn't really see the ref kind of go in and pull you, I, what I was hoping to do was I was hoping that you were kind of like doing the whole like wrapping thing around, not completely all the way. So I was hoping to at least to get to like, uh, I think it was like the can or something can. on your guys' side to at least to get to it and be able to post up quick, like just yep. to get to it quick and post up. But you fucking hit me right in dead center of the chest, like right before I got to it, because you must have been yep. wrapped around way further than what I thought you were at the time. Yep. And I, I thought at least the confusion was going to last a little longer over there yeah. than what it did. Uh I mean, he he's running full speed, so that would have been a godly shot for him to make on the running gun to me mm -hmm. sticking out this much, waiting for him, like waiting for that highway gap between the Doritos. Yeah. So as soon as I saw his shadow coming, I put up a lane. He went through it. He shot two, three balls, and they missed. I sucked hard. And as soon as I knew he missed and I hit him, I just immediately wrapped and started like, like the top of the Dorito. I can see both sides, so I'm actively able to see. And I saw you going, so I wrapped further in case you were going to shoot to push me mm -hmm. and then just put up a lane wherever I thought it could. And luckily, the gaps were big where you're it fast. It was huge. It was huge fucking yeah. gap. I was like, oh, man, this is a lot further than I thought. If there was confusion or the refs had to check me, you would have made it because you're that fast from the 50 to our start box. But I knew I was clean, so I just wrapped and put the lane in front of our area. And you went through it. And It was fucking it, money, dude, because I, I had just shot Jacob. Um I just shot Jacob down the tape and yep. then I shot Tim and then I think yep. I think LJ shot Jason, Jason in the corner. Yep. It was a four on two and I was like, fucking A, like this is like it was feeling good and uh Yeah. And yeah, and then uh and then history. But um Yeah. But yeah, dude, it was uh man oh, that this is one I wanna tell you. So I had got to a spot because I think you started in the corner. 
mm-hmm. in that game. You started in the yep. corner. So I was, and this is the little fucking little asshole things that like stick in my brain where I'm like, why didn't you do this? You little shithead me. I'm talking to myself at this time. Um, not you, but I, I get into, I think it was snake one and I get in and I look inside and I knew there was a gap that I could see through that was a gap where you would have to run through from corner to snake one. And I pulled up and I go, okay, I should probably shoot that gap. And as soon as that thought crossed my fucking brain, you ran through the gap. And I was like, motherfucker, if I would have just, and my, the whole plan was to get there and just to shoot that. Cause I knew you went to the corner. So if I would have just got up and instead of thinking about doing it, if I would have just got up and did it like I was supposed to, um, you know, we could fucking do the should have been, could have been, maybe. But well, it's, oh, it's I remember that, that too. That's another thing that's burning my brain is seeing you cross that lane. I'm like, oh, that's gonna fuck me later on. It's it's weird to see that other's perspective because you know you if you would have just done it, you would have shot me. But if you would have done it, most points there wouldn't have been a move. I wouldn't have made it because, in my opinion, why he put me in. And Tim talked to me after that event, and I remember even asking like, why did you put me in there? And it was something he always wanted me to work on. He's like, and it's been something I've been working on the last several years in pro when I was with DMG is like, he's like, you know, we brought you on this team to be a front guy. Like, so when Jacob needs sits, like, you know, you're athletic and you're fast and you have gun skills. We need you to go win the game for us, but you don't really do that. Like you never are like the guy who opens the game and wins it, mm-hmm. but we know you'll never lose it for us. Like you have high survivability like Jason. So I got put in that play cause that was supposed to be a strong snake side push and I was just going to lock it, me and Jason on the two side, and then three guys the other way. And I think you guys shot Celos or Darula or whoever it was off break. Of the break yeah. And I heard the ball won. So I was like, ah, they're all going to expect me to just sit here and lock up with Jason and watch the center. I, I'm going to – maybe it was to try to impress them. Maybe it was like to try to pull it back. But I was like, I'm going to get to this D2. I'm going to yeah. do something maybe they don't expect because they all think I'm going to sit back here with nine pods and play – that slow roll damage game. And I just made a quick move quicker than I had all the other prelim games. And it's weird. If you had shot for it, you would have shot me. But it was only that one game where I was like, I'm going to at least take a little bit of ground rather than play back here, zone paintball on my heels. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, Sloviak just got a penalty too behind me. I remember that happened, I think before or as you yeah. moved. Um, he got a penalty and Tim yeah. speaking on Tim, Tim was always just go get him. Tim's always for me, at least has always been like, go do what you're good at. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's always preached that, um, to me and to a lot of people, um, that I know and that I, cause I, I kind of grew up playing a little bit around Tim and, um, he's, he's always been, dude, if you're good at running people down and going and causing chaos, go do that. If you're good at shooting people off the break, do that. Um, but if he sees some kind of potential in you and he gives you that opportunity to be able to kind of blossom into what they see in you, even when you don't see it yet, he is very prone to give an opportunity uh, and letting you know and giving you these these chances to prove yourself um, and, and really show everybody kind of what they've seen or what at least he's seen um, yes. to that point. Yeah. 
I mean, he was a big reason I got on damage. I remember having that phone call with him after my year with semi-pro damage. And he's like, hey, so you know they're going to bring you up for this next season. And then, you know, for that, it was like, all right, well, I know this guy can maybe help us clutch it out and win, even if it's, you know, not – he probably wanted me to go win the game, not pull back a one-on-two. But he gave me the chance. And he was willing to gamble not just that match but the tournament on putting in a rookie – but I think he thought, hey, I'm going to give this guy the confidence and he's going to go do it. Yeah. And you know, Tom's, Tim's got me on a, on a USA team in international events. So it's like that guy's put me in a lot of places where like, I, I owe him so much. And you know, I always hope he hears this because I owe him endless thanks. He's, he's given so many people so many opportunities. He, he's connected me with you know, teams in Mexico, teams with other countries, Kiev United in Europe, like – he was that ultimate networker, and he's like, oh, that guy's looking to try to go and play in those places. I know a guy. I'll get him in that thing. Or uh, he he's better in that type of spot. I'll be the guy who voiced up and said, fuck it. We're playing in that spot. You know, yeah. Tim was just – he was that guy. Yeah, Tim, Tim. Miss you, bud. Um, but, yeah, let's, uh, let's cruise back around. So you guys squish us out of, yeah. uh, <laughs> out of that game. Um, yeah, and then you guys uh, lose in the finals. You end up, you said, going over and playing in the UK. In the UK with Tortugas, who's like a team of like mixed semi-pro and pro guys out of Florida, uh, playing D two because there's no classification over there. So we're just winning every event all season. We're, we're we we didn't drop a match all season. We dropped three points that whole event and won it. And then a day goes by after the event. And I remember I wake up the next day and like I couldn't move my right leg. And I'm like, holy fucking shit, what is going on here? This would be the ultimate cramp or soreness. And mm-hmm. it hurts. Like, It feels like a burn. It also feels like a sting. And I'm like, what is going on? I lift the blanket and my whole leg, like whole leg from Kev up is like ghostly white with like blackish reddish veins coming out of like this big recessed hole in the middle of my calf. Oh like my God. a big enough hole that you could put your finger to the first digit in. You could almost touch the bone. And I'm like, holy fucking shit. Like, I don't know what's going on there. My, and my leg is just, it looks like it's dying. Mm-hmm. And, and throughout that day, my good buddy, Jamie Beadle, love you, Jay Bird, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> England pro who always ends up over here. He's driving me around trying to find me like a hospital and in some hospitals, we went to like four hospitals before we ended up at like Gatwick or some big, like huge, like quarter mile long national hospital yeah. uh, outside of London. And they finally get me in throughout the day. Like my leg hair is falling out. My skin is like getting black and like peeling almost like if you had a bad burn and like the dead skin peels away. Yeah. And it's my, my right leg is just dying. And so, uh, yeah, I, I still, I don't know if it was from over there. They only have one spider, which is a, uh, um, false recluse or if it was from like hanging out at my buddy's property in like the bushy underglades of Florida. Uh, and it was a real Brown recluse, but it was a recluse type spider. Like Mm -hmm. my, my, one of my other friends was bit and said the same thing. Like, yeah, it'll eat a hole right through your skin. Like it's tissue eating. Um, a black widows can do it. Like, you know, it's, it, it'll fuck you up. And if you don't do anything about it, it'll just grow and grow into the bloodstream and then eventually up into your like organs and be fatal. Mm-hmm. So I'm in this hospital and they're like, how long has this been? 
I don't know how long, like it could have been a few days settling in. I'm just not looking at that spot. Um, but they put, they like, there's like 30 people in the, in the waiting room. They skipped me right by it, brought me into like the intensive care, like emergency room area. Yeah. You're going to lose your leg. Exactly. And they're like, we got to do some. And I was in there for 17 days, uh, with this leg that was like, like the skin kept peeling off similar to how like a snake sheds its skin. Mm-hmm. Like I, I saw the picture somewhere of like from my knee down to my foot came off all in one piece with a foot shaped piece of skin, even with like the toe shapes. Oh my God. It's just peeling off like every few days and it hurt so bad. It was the most extreme pain I've ever felt in my life that like it hurts no matter what you're laying there and you're just mindful of it. But like I'd, I'd finally like pass out from pain and if I moved it all in my sleep like if I rolled over and like I've been sleeping on my back if the side of my leg touched the bed I'd wake up in like shooting pain mm-hmm. and it felt like uh, like you know when you're when you get a burn your skin is like super pulled tight mm-hmm. so it was like a it was like a burn area being stabbed by knives like a stabbing and burning pain and uh, the doctors are just fucking pumping with me with anything and everything i got ivs all over me for more fluids i have a catheter in me and uh i'm hallucinating balls for like seven days straight because of the because of the venom or the drugs uh no it was before that was even like coming into there i was already like seeing weird shit Mm -hmm. but i don't know i wouldn't think drugs would do that i would think it would be because of a toxic factor yeah and i've read from like you know once again other like spiritual things (laughs) like there's people in other countries who purposely allow them to get spider bites to go into like hallucinogenic states yeah so i'm like i'm like tripping hard like not getting sleep for like seven days looking around thinking the hospital around me is melting I, I keep hearing like air raids as if it's like 1942 mm-hmm. England getting bombed and I'm, I'm screaming through my ward thinking people are leaving me behind and not pulling me out. And then a, eventually a doctor would come in and be like, what is going on? Why are you screaming? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I thought you left me. Um, Jeez. The guy, the guy next to me was like 95 and I guess he was dying anyways. A guy died next to me and I remember seeing him get wheeled out that morning with a thing up. I thought it was for sure it was my fault. I thought in some way or other, me dying next to him yeah. did something to this 95-year-old guy with that immune system and killed him. So you're and yelling just, and you're hallucinating. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So I'm losing my mind and my leg can't move at all. Like I, It's stuck in like this kind of like semi-bent. Like I can't straighten it. Yeah. I can't flex it more. It's just stuck like this. I can't feel anything. Like all the nerves are just dead. Yeah. And so, yeah, 17 days later, uh, like the parts per million of like detective levels of that shit in my blood were a low enough point where they were like, now you can fly home. And then, uh, thank God for hostile kids, my favorite company, longtime good friends in the game. They, cause I had already missed my actual flight home and mm. I, I didn't have time. They bought me a flight. They're like, are you good to go home today? Okay. We'll buy you a flight. And they bought me a flight home on like the 18th day. And I finally got back to uh, Clearwater, Florida. <laughs> Jeez, props to HK on that one, man. Um, yeah, I love. Holy guys. shit! So, so they were never. So they just said it was some kind of recluse um, spider bite, but you don't know if like you brought it from Florida or if it was like something there. You just woke up one day, you 
threw the blanket off, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, like, I, I, uh, I used to always hang out with that guy from, you know, Jackass and Wild Boys, right? Mm-hmm. I'm good friends with the Cobra Kid. You know him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he plays paintball. That's he plays, right. On like he plays ten man now, but he used to play like D four for Annihilators, mm-hmm. and so I've even, I've even lived with him for a month and lived amongst like a thousand venomous snakes on his compound. What? And he lives out, out in the middle of the bush. Like he lives with gators and snakes, and I've seen uh, black widows and brown recluses and all this shit. Like his property is some dangerous shit, and you know, like helping him feed his gators and all that. I might have just been walking through some two foot tall brush. I'm generally always barefoot and in shorts if it's nicer weather. Yeah. And might have got bit and never noticed it. It's already mosquito-y, so I might have just felt a bite, swatted it like I would any other mosquito, and not thought anything about it. Right. I think that's probably what happened. And, a day you know, or two goes by, off, and yeah. yeah. And a few days goes by, and the hole grows, and then it gets noticeable, and then it starts fucking with the function of my leg, and like it's spreading in the like the the system of my veins and going further in the blood flow and now it's destroying shit and uh yeah i remember that like as soon as i wasn't tripping face i'm talking to them and i'm like is my leg savable am i gonna play paintball again (laughs) and they were like man if you came in here probably another two three days later you probably would have lost this leg yeah if you would have came in a week later it would have spread in your veins up into your torso and you probably would have vital organs you probably would have died so this was pretty much your last like good day and they're like, but you're probably not going to be playing paintball anymore. Like, that leg's probably going to be pretty fucked for a while. Like, you're going to be rehabbing that thing for a year or two just to get to back to, like, walking, you know? Mm-hmm. Jeez. Um, so how do you – so elaborate a little bit on how you know uh, that that Cobra guy because I, I know exactly who you're talking about. Did you know no? him – first, did you know him prior to the Jackass stuff? And second – why the fuck does he have all those things? Because I I remember he he has yeah. like all that shit like he's just a, yeah. around crazy person. And if you're ever in the area and you hit him up, he'll say come on by and check him out. Like I've seen him do videos where he shows Greenspan or HK guys there. Like he has like a ten acre compound where it's like he has a bunch of different outdoor cages with crazy fucking animals. Like you know a twelve foot gator named Choby that he'll just walk <laughs> in the cage with and Choby. clean the cage while it's in there. Oh my god, uh, he has. He has a dozen other gators and crocs. He's had tigers, leopards, lions. He has this weird Mexican raccoon thing called a Cotamundi <laughs> that is the animal of nightmares. Like Chupacabra. Google this thing after. It's it's uh it's like a thirty or forty pound like picture a bigger raccoon with like a longer snout and teeth that are like like finger sized teeth and claws and it's lightning fast. So I was like, oh, that's a cute looking thing in that big cage. Like, can I go in there with you? And he's like, no, if you go in there, that thing will tear your face off. Like, it'll <laughs> climb up and claw your neck off so quick you'll be dead. It's probably the, the scariest, fastest thing in this compound. So, yeah, I, I remember seeing that guy in Jackass and Wild Boys. But um, the first time I moved to Florida, I met him, and he was a cool dude. And the second time I moved to Florida – you know, I moved in with Kyle Berry. Like Kyle Berry was the guy who was like my in into the damage camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was living in California for a little bit on a buddy's couch, and he's like, "Hey, we've seen you now play for a few years in semi-pro. You're in better shape now. Like, can you make it to next practice?" And I was like, "Okay." And I packed all my stuff in my car that night, 
and drove for three days across the bottom of the country alone, got to Florida Friday, practiced Saturday, Sunday, and they were like, you missed the tryouts, but you can walk onto the semi-pro team. And so for that first year, I was with semi-pro damage, and I lived with Kyle Berry, and he lives in Fort Myers, which is right down the street from Mike Paxson and B, mm. and about 10, 20 miles from uh, the Cobra Kid, David. And so naturally, you know, during the week, it's like, oh, well, who are your friends out here, Kyle? And he's like, oh, my buddy David's having a bonfire. Let's go over. And I go over, and it's like, it's this guy? And this guy's big into, like, you know, local, like, CFP series D4 paintball? Mm -hmm. Great. And so the guy likes me because I'm, you know, semi-pro, and I'm giving him all the tips. And I like him, not for his celebrity. I wasn't awestruck, but because he was such a cool, humble, mellow, genuine, spiritual dude. And he could teach me a lot in other life. You know, he's a grown ass man. I'm a 24, five year old guy at the time. And uh, yeah, like, so I, I would stay over there sometimes in my last month or two living there for damage. I lived with him in his property. And no joke, the guy literally has like a thousand venomous snakes in, in two or three different like double wide trailers parked around his compound. Mm-hmm. He has. Uh, this one snake, big worm, uh, why he still has all these is because even after, uh, uh, wild boys, his thing, like how he, you know, makes income is in Florida. Like, let's say there's a fair, they'll hire him and pay him whatever a day to come and kiss cobras and do his like snake show. Mm-hmm. And he has, he has like a spiritual connection with these snakes that we would never go near cause it'll kill you. But I've seen this guy pull out his 19 foot black King Cobra named big worm when this thing rears up, like it's most of it's still on the ground, it's almost as tall as you, and its head fanned out is wider than your head, and it's looking at you, and it's like this snake would kill the shit out of me, and he'll <laughs> he'll look at it in the eyes, like he has he's raised it since it was a little baby snake, so it trusts mm-hmm. him, and he'll like kind of lull it, and then he'll lean in and just give it kisses on the forehead, and whenever he pulls that snake out, I'm like, give me a minute, and I'll run like 50 <laughs> feet away because it's fast as hell, oh, like yeah. it is fast and i'll just watch him do his show and then he'll wrangle it up and put it back in this like 30 foot aquarium and that's it jesus dude i love and like i love animals and i love nature but something about something that can kill you like and it is is and that's in a small package like that it's like okay because i do you watch or do you follow this um nature is metal on instagram I do. I, watch it. I, see, I see it all the time. And it's, it's a very humbling thing because it's like, I, that could be me. That could 100% be me, like, just getting eaten up. But it's like, For how sure. do you – How? I mean, you experienced it in, in a, a, you know, a small form, a small yeah. form. But it's like, would you rather be eaten alive by something or by something bigger than you? Or would you rather have something smaller than you bite you and then – eat you alive from the inside how terrifying uh, is either one of those choices i've thought about that before and it's like let's say it's smaller and you're gonna bite you and you have a chance of survival then you take that but if let's say you were you're in the middle of nowhere and you're gonna die i would take the it's gonna be horrifying like getting eaten alive by a shark in the water is about the scariest thing you picture but let's say it's a lion or a tiger something that's probably gonna grip your throat and kill you pretty quickly I'll take that because at least it's only going to be horrific and painful for a minute, maybe a few. Uh, okay, I how about a bear wish... that will eat you from the asshole up 
that oh. he doesn't he'll just start eating you he won't fucking and try and kill. the whole time yeah. that i think eventually shock would knock you out right you would you would you pass out from shock yeah whereas dying slowly for two three weeks knowing it's coming maybe you get to make peace with your life and self but like i would not wish this kind of like limb paralysis or extreme sharp burning pain on anyone like it it was the worst thing ever the hallucinations and not knowing what the fuck was going on was terrifying. Um, you know, straight up, honestly, because I've written about this, losing bodily functions and like puking all over myself or like losing other bodily functions in this, you know, hospital bed mm -hmm. every day for the first 12 days oh, yeah. was terrible and beyond embarrassing. Like there is nothing more humiliating than a nurse coming in and you're a 25 year old guy. And they go, oh, yep, it happened again. And you you need them to lift you into a wheelchair, wheel you into a shower, shower you and like move you and clean you like thoroughly. Like yeah. they have to do everything. And the whole time, every time they even touch your leg, it's painful. Oh, dude. And then they clean your sheets and bring you back in. And they act like nothing happened. But in your head, you're like, I couldn't even control that in my sleep. I did something and I woke up and every day I stunk like shit from sweat among other things. Mm -hmm. It was, it was the worst thing ever. Like every day in my head was like, God, I just want to survive this. And if I do, I promise I'll be a better person. I'll be, I'll call my <laughs> mom more. I'll, I'll go further in paintball. I'll, I'll cut out even more things that are dumb or risky. Like all I wanted to do was be done with that and yeah. never have it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think the whole hospital thing, I think the embarrassment and everything comes from thinking that that's the first time that the nurses and everything have ever seen anybody in your position like lose control over their body, but they deal with that on like an every single day basis. Yeah. And and you're going through it for the first time. So it's like it's it's new and embarrassing for you, but yeah, yeah. I can I've I've only had a few like you know experiences like that where I was in a vulnerable position but eventually and I'm sure you got to this point too where it's like I don't you gotta accept it it's just gonna happen and kind of it is what it is kind of a thing you drown it out you start thinking positively which at least by that point you know playing at the damage camp I'm already that type of guy I almost lost it like I almost stepped into that that's that dark spiral of like you know the uh the why me thoughts like mm -hmm. you know and now i'm victim and you know uh, do i make peace is this it like do i just give up uh even if i live this like doctor saying i'm not going to play paintball anymore like all those negative doubtful thoughts really seep in and then eventually it's like the last five days you know i think i made the most progress because i was like i'm going to get better you know i have this buddy noah heb from the northeast a longtime good friend of mine he actually raised guys like Pat Kraft and a lot of the dudes who were like the New England guys on New York Extreme. Mm -hmm. And that dude, you can have him on your show, that dude had a brain tumor and he thought he was going to die. Doctors told him he had X amount of months to live. And conscious positive thinking, instead of thinking I'm dying, I guess I'll just mope for a while, he went, this isn't going to kill me. And he, he didn't go to chemo. He'll even tell you. He didn't go to chemo. He didn't do anything. But months and months of thinking I'm not sick I don't have this it'll go away I'm gonna be okay mm -hmm. all of a sudden he gets diagnosed later that year and he's cancer free hmm. and I thought about shit a lot and I was like you are spiraling like yeah this sucks yeah this is terrible yeah this is frustrating and painful blah blah but 
you need to convert your mind to, hey, I'm a tough motherfucker and I've been through other shit. I've almost died plenty of other times, like drowning and car accidents and alcohol poisoning and whatever. So like I'm going to get through this and turn it around and this isn't where the story ends for me. And then it got better and better. And, uh, you know, getting home was the same thing. They told me like, good luck walking or running in X amount of time. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm not going to make the fourth event, but I'm going to play world cup. And that was my goal. I'm going to play world cup. And that was my thought. And I was like, well, what would help me play world cup? And I did every single thing you could do to heal from any type of like traumatic leg injury. Like I didn't just take medicine or take antibiotics or go to PT, like physical therapy or go to the gym or take daily walks and bike rides. I was doing Eastern medicine. I was doing acupuncture, electro acupuncture, anything and everything to like re-stimulate the nerves so they get firing again and then begin to build the muscles slowly. And it was like within two months I was walking and I was like, okay, I'm walking. Like the leg is starting to bend. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'm just going to – it sucks to even bend it all the way, but I'm going to like force myself to jog, force myself to do super, super lightweight workouts and then increase from there. And by – you know, I, I don't even think I was 50% speed or strength by World Cup, but I could run. I could like mm-hmm. – I could play uh, in the pocket. I couldn't run snake or Dorito one-off break, but right. I was able to play paintball by the time the layout weeks happen and it was like, holy fuck, you did it. And that was kind of another one of those reminders of like, a doctor will tell you, yeah, whenever like this happens, whenever you break your femur, like, you know, you're gonna be out for six months before you can play your sport. And that's just on the average. And I think that's because they tell most people for six months you can't do it. And those people just, they submit and they go, oh, well, why even try? It's gonna Mm -hmm. take six months. And my mind was, okay, that's most people's limitations, but I'm not going to make that mine. I'm going to be the one person that doesn't just do the recommended or the bare minimum. I'm going to do anything and everything to expedite that process. And that was all I, that was literally all I focused on, you know, even endless apologies to a girlfriend that I, you know, neglected focusing only on I got to get this health back together so I can keep playing pro paintball because it's my only first season in it and to friends in my life and family and my mind became so single tracked and tunnel visioned on heal 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 and I may have lost a lot of other friends relationships the girlfriend opportunities whatever because all that but I'll tell you what I didn't lose (laughs) all of my mental focus, mm-hmm. this brain is more strong than we think. You know what I yeah. mean? And every 100% of my brain going towards that thing made some other thing that science can't calculate where it's like mind over matter. My mind only focusing on that one goal made the goal accomplish. And I mean, I got better and I play pro paintball still. Yeah. And here you are. Do you have any like residual like nerve damage or anything uh, in your leg or your toes or anything? Uh, you know, the only thing I notice is because that leg was flexed in a weird way for so long, it created an imbalance of my hips. 
Like you always say like, oh, you have a back problem? That actually might be like doctors and chiropractors will say, that's actually probably related to this. Hmm. And so it did this hip thing where now you're constantly uh, compensating or overcompensating one leg against right. the other, strong leg versus the leg that's healing. Like I did everything right in PT and whatever. I didn't like unfavor or do more for the one leg, but like I lost some of my flexion. Like I can pull my left foot up pretty far towards my shin and when I look at the two, the the right foot, if I pull it up, is probably an inch or more. Like, if they're like this, they should pull up like this, right? Mm-hmm. Here's for the camera. Instead, they're like this. Yeah. So, so that I don't the the calf was what was actually affected. Like the right side of that calf, that calf doesn't curl and extend as long as it should. I never notice it full sprinting. I never notice it for heavy lifting. But as far as flexibility, if I'm like leaned back on my right knee too long in a point playing in the snake or whatever, like that right leg definitely will get sore quicker than the left leg because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have the same range of motion. Yeah. It's probably from that uh, spider bite. I mean, <laughs> it was it was never like that before, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's it's that's insane. And uh and you came through. Yeah, there was. I've always wanted to hear the story exactly what happened because I I kind of just heard like the you know the third hand story of everything and it's good to hear from the horse's mouth. That's that's crazy. Um, yep, go to it. <laughs> fuck, dude, this is insane. Um, yeah. Aftermath. Are this is kind of a new kind of journey for you and a whole new uh, not necessarily a whole new thing because you're getting a you're getting a, alongside some uh, some old teammates, but. Uh, a, a new adventure and a new chapter in uh, in your game. Do you are you going in this into the same position that you kind of left all the other teams in? Are you like a, a two? Are you are you filling in that kind of spot? Or are you are you starting to go up front a little bit more? Um. So I'm basically a, a two three on aftermath. You know, you have generally on teams nowadays. You have your specialists. You have your snake ones. You got to have a guy or two like that. Um, normally, most teams have a guy who's like their up the gut specialist too. Like he loves being at the center fifty, like the A Rods and Nick Lavals and all that. Mm-hmm. And they can play as a role player in the back, but you need that type of guy who he's not just a back guy. He's also a go up the center guy. And then your other guys, I the way I see it, you have one twos where it's guys who are like you know like Josh Hallberg is this guy who it's like. In all reality, his very best position is a Dorito side one. Mm-hmm. He plays the Doritos very well. But if you have you know, a faster guy out there, you'd put that guy in the one and you'd make Josh the two because Josh is smart and experienced and he can play a role and just hold zones. Yeah. But if your one dies off break, now he fills right back in and becomes the next one and does what he, what he would have naturally done if there wasn't someone in his way. Right. And then have most teams always have two to three guys that are a two three where it's like these guys are generally your your more dominant gunfighters or like the more experienced guys in the teams and they're they're a three like they're a back center guy but they can immediately become a two like so depending on the layout like if it's a layout where the 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 center 50 area sucks then a guy like me would play a three because that back center might be a strong home bunker yeah, but if it's a really center powerful lunker uh, layout, like let's say uh, like Chicago 2019 with that that like 
X-shaped thing. Um, you know what I mean? Like all the boxes and bricks were together mm-hmm. in like an, like an X form from above. Your three basically has to be a guy who wants to go up the gut. Now he's almost a one. Like he's going right. up there to like get jiggy. Well, now your guys who would be like backfield threes, they're going to either be the snake side two or the D side two. Right. So the best way to explain it is I'm normally a guy who's in the back waiting to insert out. Like I'm good at holding a zone, but I'm very good at like supporting a front player down the field. And then if he dies, I can become a one at any time in the game. So yeah. like, you know, utility player. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what the, you, that your strong suit. Um, I mean, I think you can play anywhere in the field, but I think your strong suit is, 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 a, is a hard two. Um, and saying anybody's a two, I feel like is a, that you're pretty much just saying they can play front or they can play back. Yes. In reality. Um, and what's it like playing for uh, Mr. Hinman? So that's the difference. You know, I, I feel like it's a weird, like this team is a new chapter for me, mixed with kind of a continuation of like a, a where we left off of one that I felt like was, it was left unfinished. Like, like man, we had unfinished business. You know, that, that 2018 DMG roster I came to play for, I, I left damage to come play with the new team in the league was like that starting line would have been like Tim Brusselback, Josh Hallberg, Thomas Kim, uh, me as a two on either side. And then depending on the layout, like Shane Howe in the snake or Marvin Gerber up the center or something like that as the fifth body. But like those other four as like the main, like an attacker with a solid role player in me or Thomas behind each of those attackers. Mm -hmm. That was a chapter that I came to play and I wanted to finish that book. And so I'm happy to continue that because it's just comfortable playing with those guys. Like, you know, unspoken communication on the field after all this time. Yeah. Now playing with Hinman is the next level of a new chapter. And it's one that I love because playing for Hinman is something that I have not gotten in the last three years, which is a tough coach that demands accountability. You know what I mean? Yep. Like when you play on like DMG, it's it's not an unknown fact that we don't have a coach. Like when I first got on, Thomas was the player coach. And then when he left, Josh became like the player coach. And he would coach more than he would play because it's like, oh, he's good on the field. But if no one's running the ship, he would notice the team do, does worse when no one's coaching. Like mm. Josh's going to get kills and win you some tough points. But he's like, if I coach and we put in a, a guy who's pretty good on D side – I'll be able to call the right plays to counter their plays and we'll win more matches overall, not just tough points. Right. So that's tough because, you know, I'm, I'm being coached by a guy who's my best friend in either of them. And when you're being coached by your peers and you're all about as good as each other, it's like whether you're playing good or bad or you're plateauing, like nobody's ever holding you accountable. And you can pretty much just play as good as you're going to play or even practice bare minimum and if you're better than the rookies that come up from semi-pro, you're going to get play time because they trust playing with you more than those guys. Yeah. It's just the nature of the beast. You know, that's the way it was with Tampa Bay Damage. Even if I had a stellar event practice on one of the layouts where I was like going off and always getting at least one kill, if not two, every point, and I'm like, man, I'm going to get a lot of play time this event. Come event time, it's like if those four veterans look around and they go, okay, who do we want to play with? that new rookie who's playing good 
but we don't quite know what he's capable of in the event or Jacob Edwards or Chad Bougier, who is the bottom on the list, you know? Mm, yeah. I mean, Naturally. and that's that's pecking order, right? It just kind of it is what it is. But it's it is. good to be, and I think Joey Blute um, is is a comparison to Mike Hinman. I mean, he'll he'll let you know what it is. I mean, he doesn't give a fuck if you let your Oliver Lang, if you're Greenspan, if you're Fedorov, they don't give a shit. Keeps like, it real. If you're not if you're not doing your job, they're gonna let you know that you're not doing your job. And I think that's what also um, is is a reason why they have success in uh, in what they do and why they're so good at what they do. So I think I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good for you um for especially you because you're playing with a lot of guys that you know and then on top of that uh playing with Hinman and just knowing his style on top of his record. I mean with yes. his camp and the people that have come through it, you know, you yeah, you, it's a bright future. Um, that's for sure. I mean, I know you're not a rookie anymore, but uh, every year is a rookie year. I feel for everybody. You know, no matter what, it's a whole new year. So it's just you got. It's gonna be. It's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be good. For sure. Yeah, that, that that's really what I wanted. You know, after a while, I was like, okay, I don't want to just uh, settle and be a guy who coasts in pro. And okay, I'm pro. I made it. Like right. I want to succeed and. And with a team with no coach yelling at me or benching me, and I'm going to get played every point no matter what, it's like you kind of just cap out. And yeah, you plateau. You're yeah. You plateau. But what I noticed about him is like there's a reason why he's made players like Alex Goldman, for the biggest example, into monsters. And it might even, it, Hinman knows what he's doing as a coach, like in terms of the X's and O's, but it might not necessarily be because he programs those guys' minds better than the other great coaches in the games like let's say you know joey or dave baines or skinny k or rusty or ryan brand or any of those other like top eight team coaches yeah. it's not like he's better or worse than them but you know what himman does is he always demands more and that's really what my game needed where like i want a coach who actually set like when i fuck up he Literally, you know, I don't need to be screamed at like a, a D3 kid, but I want a guy that reminds me like, why would you do that? Why would you get lazy in that? And then what I really like about him and is like, you know, this la- last weekend, well, two weekends ago, we practiced AC Dallas and it's like I could have a few bo- points in a row where as a role player, I'm shooting two, three guys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like my snake guy dies and I get in there and then win down the side as the only guy on that side. But the fourth point if I let's say I don't even lose that point, if I drop a lane just for no reason and let a guy make a fill, he'll scream at me for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He, he will treat me no different than any other guy because with him, there's no favoritism. There's no ah, uh, I'm gonna let the rookie have it, but I'm not gonna let the the tenured veteran or my good friend on the team, you know, either or situation. I'm not gonna let them have it because they're my buddy or because I I know they know that was a mistake, so they already know it. He the only thing that's important in his mind as a coach, and you can always tell this, is winning. So your feelings don't mean shit. If you're the guy that history says you're the guy, but you're having a bad match, guess what? You're going to sit for the yeah. guy who's doing the job, regardless of if you're his friend and he wants to take you to dinner after, regardless of you just won World Cup. History does not mean shit. If you are not winning on the team in that match right now, 
you're sitting. And yeah. I love that because it's like, oh my God, I, I think I just had a good point, but now I'm getting yelled at for that mistake that I made two minutes ago in the point, or I'm getting told how I could have won that point faster or made it better and better. And you're never going to reach a point of like, okay, good enough. Now you're doing it right. It's like you get better and he goes, this is how you can do it even better. And it's like, yeah, okay, okay, keep doing it. Keep, keep feeding me more. Cause you know, I don't, I don't need to have Ollie Lang's prowess in the game or the history, but I want to be as good as that guy. So mm. force me to learn every little mistake and even not mistakes, force me how to always constantly improve things or pick up the pace on the things that I'm doing. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I'm not, I'm trying not to speak for Hinman, but I think what his purpose is doing in doing all that is to not to ridicule, but to make you realize. Yes. I mean, that's, that's sure. the biggest thing. And I think a lot of people just look at the ridicule part like that and they, you know, Oh why what was me? Don't yell at me to this and that and this and that. And it's like, you gotta be tough, man. You gotta be tough minded. You gotta be able to realize your mistakes but realize them and then build off of them and move forward. Uh, and like we said sure. before, you know, don't dwell, you know, don't dwell, have that amnesia of, you know, last point was last point, learn from last point, but last point already happened. You can't go back and change that shit. So you either, you either fix it or you fail. Yeah. And that's fix it or fail. I mean, that's what it is. And the, you know, but you have to fail. You have to fail to be able to win and yeah. and you and you let that shit happen you don't let that shit happen but you you do all that preparedness and that prep at practice and that's why so many people are like you practice like you play you practice mm -hmm. like you play because those repetitions that happen at practice is what are going is, is what is reflected on that pro field mm -hmm. on sunday uh, a loss is not a complete loss like losing a tournament sucks yeah. but a loss is still a win if you take the lessons from it. Yeah. You know, as long as you don't make excuses or or just keep making that mistake, there's something to be learned. So every time we lose, or even if we don't lose, if we make mistakes or we die dumb or we give back bodies and make it harder than it should have been in ourselves, he burns that lesson into your mind. And mm -hmm. you know, I don't think anybody can speak for the man himself, but I think you you said it right in what he's doing and that he's not just berating you. He's making you realize what it is, and you also said it right. Uh, it's tough love, but it's for you, and you can't be soft. Like you know, kind of like the way we started this podcast. Like if you let your ego get in the way, and you go, "Oh well, he's disrespecting me. He's yelling at me. I think I did it pretty good. I won the point, didn't I? Right? I pulled it back <laughs> or whatever." Yeah. Then you're you're losing track of the message that he really wants to convey, and what he is always trying to do is just demand more of you. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, all the guys who are too soft to take it, or let's say they just took it personally, they went, man, I get yelled at every single practice. I think I'm gonna go find a, a team with a teddy bear of a coach that gives me a good job and a participation award. They leave, and there's been plenty of those guys. Some, I mean, I even have friends who have been through the camp and didn't make it. Mm -hmm. Like either got cut halfway through the season or got cut before the season started. And anytime I got the story from them, and from him and, and took the truth of both of it. it. If you had to summarize it, it was that guy was taking it personally. He thought Hinman hated him because he was always picking on him with criticism. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, it's like, he didn't hate you. 
he still likes you off the field. He'll still probably take you out to dinner or let you stay at his house, but he's yelling at you because you're making mistakes. And if you would just stop taking it personally and just right. see yourself objectively from the outside and go, oh, that's a coach just noticing something that I'm doing wrong or could do better, I should just say, yes, sir, and do that. And then you just do it like he's a military drill sergeant mm-hmm. and you are his born to die for the cause soldier. You will improve drastically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is also just like a lot of things is easier said than done. Um, but what I think with Mike is that he um, tends to get perceived in that in that certain where it's like it's it's personal. But I think why people might take it so is because they're trying at something that they love dearly. Because we're, I mean, everybody at the paintball field is there for a reason, right? Because they love the sport, and and they're all trying. They're they're all trying, and there's nothing more detrimental than somebody telling you that you're doing the thing you love wrong, and letting you know it without any emotion, and just letting you know that you're doing your shit. Well, not any emotion, like fucking. Pretty, a lot of yeah, yeah, a lot of emotion, Passion. but but not. It's easy to take that personal, and, and that was one thing that I struggled with early on in my career. Is like they, these guys are trying to make me better and realize it, but I thought it was, I thought it was me being personally attacked by these guys because I was the new guy, because yeah. I was the outsider, you know, which might have been a little bit of that. Um, but at the same time, like I'm on the team so they want me to be better so but i i was so blinded by um just being happy to be there and like trying to prove myself too much and just like a lot of like rookie blindness um that i ran into but yeah that's something that's man if you're gonna make it somewhere uh and you think you got it dude the the hinman camp is definitely one to (laughs) the one to try out Um, I, I had that same thing and, you know, and, and kind of back to the, I connect almost everything to the spiritual side of like, uh, if you just come into a team and you're the rookie and all the veterans are shitting on you and you just see it as they're picking on me, that's where you're seeing separation. You're seeing them as different than you, separate from you. And you're out there by your own, on your own Island, trying to make mm -hmm. it work by yourself. But if you just flip that perspective to oneness, like, Oh, we're all the same team we're literally a cohesive unit and these guys are only doing this to me because they know i can do better they're trying yeah. to demand for me because they want they know that if i get better it's helping them i'm on their team right if i get better we're gonna win they wouldn't do this to make me play worse and suck because that's gonna affect them too they're not gonna do this knowing that let's make this guy worse that way he's gonna lose points and we're gonna lose matches and right. tournaments and that's where you have to really see like it's not personal it's not an attack it's these guys seeing me as an extension of themselves and demanding more because if I succeed, they'll succeed, we'll succeed together. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get that down, like you really like you take away all the emotion. Like, yeah, there's emotion for passion and heart for the game, but you take away all the pouty taking it personal bullshit. And yeah. you know, like damage taught me that uh, that lesson time and time again, where it's like those guys are all tough florida boys you know they are hard dudes they all lived in that era of when they started playing pro ball was bloody knuckles and stuff like you did in the 10 man field and people getting fights and you know they're and so like i I remember like when i won that overtime point against y'all's team in my head 
coming off. I didn't want to have ego about it. And I'm like, holy shit, I just did like a superstar overtime point, And now we get to move on to Sunday. I kind of feel like like it's not just on me to that I save this tournament, but like mm-hmm. I did something really good here. I think they're about to be stoked. And I thought I was going to come into a pit of a bunch of like, you know, fuck yeah. Or like, you know, not like you're the man or whatever, but like, like dudes who were stoked on me. Guess what? I came into that pit and there was nothing. There mm-hmm. wasn't even like, you know, it wasn't like everybody said good job. Like, you know, Tim was like, way to be. And like Jason was like, good job. But there was no excitement because in those guys' minds, I'm not doing something crazy. I'm doing what I'm expected to do. You're doing what you should be doing. Now on to the next thing. And that's it's over. The, the moment's over. That's with it. guys like that, with guys like Hinman, with guys like Todd Martinez, with the big explosive guys, they will yell at you for doing the bad shit. You will never get congratulated for doing the good shit because that's just what you're expected to do. It's yeah. hey, this is your job. Go do it. I expect you to do this, so I'm not going to give you a big pat on the back and a big fuzzy warm hug for doing what I expect you to do. You know, it's just like, oh, good work. All right, on to the next point. Next time, shoot three guys. Full flip of the perspective to where it's like, man, I can never be content with myself. I can never, ever get full of myself for a big move or a big point because none of these veterans in any of your generation, you guys, the dynasty guys, the old Ironman dudes, none of you guys give a shit about, they did so good, let's raise them on a pedestal. It's you're going to know when you did bad shit and you almost won't know when you're doing good shit You'll just know it because you're not getting yelled at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The good shit comes after, you know, Sunday when you win finals. There, that's the good shit. You know, yep. that's, you know, that's when when you win a tournament. Like getting getting to the finals, there might be moments um, of that, um, but winning winning a finals match is that's that's the when everybody lets their guard down because now the tournament's yeah. over. I mean, that's yeah. it. You know, that's when you can now celebrate and be happy about it. But you can relax. You can do the <sighs> exactly because yeah. there's no, there's nothing after that. Well, I mean, there's the next tournament is after that. The next practice is after that. But for that moment, there's nothing. You know, that's the pinnacle of that moment. So now you can relax a little bit. But uh, uh, yeah, um, I have a couple a uh, couple other questions for you before we uh, before we wrap it up. Is there any, is, do you have any like superstitions or anything, uh, you know, you, you're wearing the, uh, the Ohms pendant and everything, but, um, do you have any other kind of superstitions like with paintball or anything? Do you, do you put on like one sock before the other? Do you have a certain pair of socks that you wear? Do you, do you just put on your gear in a certain order? These are all things also that I do myself. So then I'm I'm just curious because I'm asking you, uh, is there anything kind of quirky to your, to your whole routine? Yeah, I always love the segment of your show. I've listened to like all your podcasts and this <laughs> I is always the enjoyable part because I know most of your things. Like I've heard you say them a few times over now and, uh, you know, I respect all of them. But yeah, I mean, I do have things where, you know, any one of us can put on somebody else's gear and pick up any decent shooting gun and pretty much still play the same we play. But when I want to feel like my full, comfortable self, you know, you're feeling you, you're feeling good. So you're playing good, you know what I mean? Uh, There is certain things for every tournament. Like uh, you've probably noticed it at least for as long as you've played against me or seen me around or whatever. Uh, I always wear uh, the black sandana. Um, I got it. I want to say it was from the HK booth in 2008. 
So I've been wearing it for like over 12 years now and it's obviously not the same one after a certain time because you get enough holes blown in it and you're just hair sticking everywhere, you get a new one. But I've always worn a black sandana and until this year I was also wearing this this one-of-one dragon headband that HK made for me way back in the day from like a a care package when I was a little kid and we would do like the the holiday exchanges yeah. in the HK egg thread. And those guys were so cool. Like this is before they were the big cool company they were now. And it was they only made two things. They made black long sleeves and cool custom headbands. Yeah. And so I had this dragon print headband, like mostly not like a dynasty, but like all black with like a very lightly sublimated dragon uh, with my initials on a tail feather. And I wore that on my headband forever. Every event, every practice um, but I lost it at some point last summer. Like I was refing and I must've been walking to the car and not notice it fall out of my like bunched up pile of clothing oh. after changing. And I lost it. So now I just wear some, I don't know, snake stripe headband or some shit. Um, but yeah, always the same headgear. And, uh, I'm very meticulous about like how I prepare for an event you know? and it's mostly because of reasons that I've lost in the past. You know, for example, uh, people have asked me this before, and then I tell them, and they're like, oh, that's a good point. Uh, if you ever see me on the pro field, I always have four squeegees, two in each pocket. Four squeegees? Four never, squeegees. That is a lot of preparedness for yeah. potential breaking paint. You never notice them unless you're next to me because it just looks like one squeegee <laughs> on each side, which some people only have one. Yeah. I always would at least have one on each side, so if I'm shooting right-handed, I can pull with the left I'm right. shooting left and I could pull with the right. Um, but if you actually look, there's another one layered under each and the outside one's pulled up so it won't pull them both out. And why I did that is I remember losing uh, a finals match and costing my team a tournament because I was in a Dorito and it was like a long two-on-two overtime and I started chopping paint. And uh, I'm a big believer in like every second counts in X-Ball. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if you squeegee your barrel and then you sit there for like five, 10 seconds, double need where like your pockets are pulled tight sideways, trying to put the squeegee back in. That might be the time the guy starts fighting you and now you're fighting one handed or you don't want to die. So you give it up and he right. finally fills out of the pocket and he's wide. So as soon as I use a squeegee, I normally ditch it. And then I got down the field, shot a guy and then the paint started blending again. And I got in this one-on-one, uh, with a talented player. And I feel like I could have outplayed him but I could not get a freaking ball on him in like a minute of gunfighting. And eventually he got closer and he shot me cause he's shooting straight paint. Right. And you know, I'm, I'm in his side Doritos, like in his corner, my only squeegee is way back in my Dorito too. <laughs> and after that I was like, I will, I will never like waste time putting a squeegee back in the pocket, mm-hmm. but I will always have more than one squeegee. So if I use one ditch it and then make a move or two, and then I start chopping again, I can still pull out another and go, okay, clean it out again, get another chance. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't come up with something like, you know what would be, I, I don't know how it would work, but you know those little card readers that you zip off of your chest, like the little zip, and you fucking oh, put it, okay. having something like that attached to you to where you can have it and like use it and have enough slack and tension to where you can let it go and it'll just zip back to your utility belt and and it it folds itself and it fucking brushes your teeth at the same time. It's not a bad uh, idea. You remember guys when they had the straight shots, they'd have them on a lanyard, so they'd just go right back around their neck. 
I, times you yeah, uh, I fucking rocked one forever, and uh, yeah. I don't know why, because it sucks when you have to do it and it sticks up out of your pack and it was, I don't know, I thought it was cool. But, yeah, uh, yeah, the sticking out, but it gets in the way or it doesn't go back and it's flinging everywhere. Mm-hmm. Or but I didn't lose it. Yeah, I didn't lose it then, though. But if it comes around and you dive into a mud it spot and you get up, now your squeegee is covered in mud. Yeah. Um, I've actually seen a guy do what you were talking about the sling thing. You know, some people like avid cigarette smokers, they have that that thing that the lighter goes into, and so they can pull it from near their like their belt loop light their cigarette and then when they let it go it just goes back so they don't drop their lighter or nobody steals it sure it's like that zip thing yep i've seen somebody do that with a squeegee but it's like eventually now the squeegee's just flopping around outside it's connected to you but it just breaks off or it's you're crawling in the snake in the mud and mm-hmm. you ruin your squeegee hmm. yeah they'll somebody will think of something i'm sure they will yeah um well, hey, uh, dude, thank you so much uh, for you know taking two hours two hours out of your day and uh, and chat with me, man. I, I really appreciate it. I really do. Yeah. Do you have any other questions? I have no other questions. I honestly, I, I won't lie to you. I didn't have any questions uh, written down. They were all in my head, and it was just the one. <laughs> it usually it's usually how it works, though. It's like I have like a set of questions, five questions that I usually write out. And I didn't for you because I had a set number that I like wanted to tell you or ask you, and I, I usually only ask a couple of them because then I either forget about them or we go off on eventually get to them from other tangents that you go on. So mm-hmm. we covered all the bases that uh, that I wanted. Do you have any other questions? Do you have any other? Uh... Yeah, yeah, I got I got a good one for you that's based on the superstition thing. I I know about your gear and whatnot and like. <laughs> Yeah. preparation i know a lot of people do the headphones and you know i listen to certain types of music while i'm in the waiting in the pits or whatever but uh like let's say the day or two before an event and then the day after when you're getting home mm-hmm. do you have any certain things you eat stuff you eat or drink to prepare and then like uh sunday night or monday time to reward myself and indulge a meal um man meal i don't think i've ever been asked this question um Usually I try and I try and stick it to stuff that like not a lot of bread um, before beforehand. I try and stay as light as possible. Um, really a lot of like meat and veggies, um, but nothing nothing too heavy. And then even afterwards, I was never really like a big uh, a big like carb guy. But um, usually afterwards, I'll 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 probably do a pizza for sure. Mm-hmm just to just to get it in there but i've never i stopped drinking pop a long time ago um big on water big on like uh buy i like i like buy the the antioxidants no sugar all that good stuff um but ice cream for sure when i when i get back i and maybe even while i'm at the tournament i might like sneak a little sweet treat of ice cream from from like a local place um I like to try and find like a little hole in the wall, like sweet tree place or something. Um, that's one of my biggest weaknesses is like ice cream. Cause it's just the combination is endless and it's delicious. But, True. uh, but yeah, I would say probably ice cream for sure. That's a good craving. Oh. Good ice cream is amazing. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. I have, I'm, 
speaking of like superstitions and stuff, I'm I've just I always ask that question because I always I'm always thinking of like am I I can't I can't be the only person who does all this weird little shit that I think about like before yeah, I go yeah. play. Like there was there's one thing that I actually that I stopped doing was uh early on in my career I would listen to music to get like pumped up, right? But mm-hmm. I but later on I stopped doing it and I it was really in 2015 um when I was with X Factor they would meditate they would all meditate in a circle before they would play. And it really hit home for me um, because I felt so much more in the moment. And I, and I yes. felt like if I put headphones on or if I did anything like that where I'm like at the event and I'm like I'm present or I'm about to play or something, like I don't want to go somewhere else. I want to – In your be, head, yeah. Yeah, in my own head. I want to be – I want to just I want to hear everything like I I would go ever since then I would go into a corner close to the field um and just listen and just take in like listen to the listen to the 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 markers going off listen to the crowd listen to the to the communication on the field listen to the pits and just like just take these long deep breaths and just kind of like take in where I'm at and what's happening and what's about to happen and just completely try and relax myself as much as yeah. possible and then go do what I do. You do a very similar thing that what I do. Like it's different than at home meditation, but at the event, that 20, 30 minutes before the match, I feel like if you plug your headphones in, uh, you disconnect from your team. Like now you're just in your own head and thoughts. And so like I want to be around my team talking about conversations that are going to happen on the field and situations. But there's always a good 10, 15 minutes that I'll do the same thing. I'll find a spot in the bleachers or in the corner of the pit and I'll try to like disassociate back from my body and rather than like thinking about what I want to do or you know what do I want right now or this or that I just become part of the environment Mm -hmm. as if it's going on without me and just like I call it like widening your perspective like rather than having like a a sharpened focus like looking one thing you know sometimes like your vision gets hazy and unfocused and you're like let's say you're looking towards the wall in front of you but like you feel like you're looking at this spot about halfway between the wall. Your mm-hmm. vision's fuzzy because it's like you're just – it's like you lack of focus and your vision, instead of being on a single focal point, expands out to everything. And you don't look over the stuff in your peripherals, but you can sharply see what's going on in your peripherals. You can see people talking. You can see somebody who enters the pit. And I'll just sit there and like stare forwards towards the field and just see everything as like one big collective like moving painting and just enjoy it for what it is like you know mm-hmm. just the gratitude that it gets to happen and that I get to be part of it and then there's even another level that it's like I used to be on that other end like I used to be one of those little teenage kids in the stands looking down on this and now I'm in here and I'm grateful to be on this side of it like the flipped side where now I'm the guy going into that center court field And then all of a sudden it all like snaps back in where you hear like four minutes Mm -hmm. and you focus back in and you start talking with your teammates and getting that connection back and eye contact and the trust with each other. And then, you know, back with the team. Yeah. It's a very big, uh, sensory thing for me when I do that. Cause like, I'm like my, my sense of smell, like I'm just using all of it. Like as I'm, as I'm like, uh, in the, 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 the you know sitting position on the floor or on the on the ground like I'm just I'm I'm grabbing dirt and stuff and grass just just kind of mm-hmm. using everything 
um, yeah. that I have it, just to kind of be more in the moment. Yeah, dude, it's uh, I miss it, man. That's for sure. I miss um, I miss the grind. I miss the uh, I miss the play. I miss the camaraderie. It's it's a tough thing to kind of step away from and. And I was hoping to to possibly get back at it this year, uh, but it was just you know the uh, stars didn't in the line. Because I feel good, I feel healthy, and I just you know it's more than anything. I just I just I miss the people uh, for sure. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I hope to see you back. I I'm sure there's plenty of teams giving you the old hey. All you got to do is show up, and you're on the team. <laughs> we need you. Uh... Which you know. I'm super grateful for if it were ever to happen. Uh, but I just like anybody, I, I you know want to earn my spot and uh, only commit myself if I feel like I can be a uh, a positive reinforcement on the team. Yeah, yeah. and that's good. I, you have no selfish like you. You're a very humble guy from everything I've ever heard you say and known about you. You're not a dude trying to get on every billboard and poster. But you know, like I think about that time that you right after that world cup when me and my guys that are now together were together on dmg and you traded jerseys with uh tim brusselbeck and it was just like man knowing that that's going to be his last time and he's retiring like that's a person that the sport as a whole is going to miss like there's going to be people walking around the event and thinking oh i'm going to go over to the eclipse tent and see oh yeah he's not here you know what i mean and there's some guys in the sport where it's like, all right, you're 50 years old or you got a broken leg. Like, yeah, bow out gracefully. But there's other guys in the sport where it's like, man, he left too soon. Like he's still in prime <laughs> shape and the sport would still love to have him here as a whole, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I miss, I miss the, the sport as a whole. That's for sure. Just everything, everything that's involved in it. Um, the, the people, the process, you know, it's it's a great thing, man, and I'm I'm super grateful and and grateful for everybody in it and and the direction that I was able to I was able to take um, and the impact that I was hoping to have I felt kind of was way bigger than what I thought and now being able to have this podcast and be able to talk to uh, young men like yourself coming up and you know just being turning in and blossoming into this, you know, rounded, all rounded player and who is just genuinely happy and, and out there to just play the sport for everything that it is, is, mm-hmm. is, is very humbling for me. And, and that, that, that's what this brings me back into the game. And, uh, I, I enjoy it thoroughly and yeah, dude. And, and thank you again so much for, uh, for doing this. It was, it was awesome. I'm, I'm glad we were able to sit down and, uh, and, and do this. Me too. Yeah, it's been very great. I'm uh, forever grateful for something like this. You know, once again, I got a lot of respect for you. I like that, you know, when you came back in the sport or even now, you you never got a big head about it about like, oh, yeah, it's the return of a superstar or whatever. And that makes it even cooler because then people see a guy who just comes back for the love of the game. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I guess uh, when we started this podcast, it was six my time, nine your time. So I could talk all night. I like conversating with, you know, <laughs> cool people and paintball. And I don't want to keep you up much later. I know you got a family. I don't. I know it's too late. So I don't want to take too much more of your time. But that's all good. You know, for other people to, to get more from you, and because I like asking questions back to commentators, uh, the last two things I were going to ask you were this, mm-hmm. and we can summarize it. Um, one, and it's kind of a two part thing. When you were on Tipman Effect, aside from you and maybe, you know, 
Tim Montress or Buddy Bauer, who do you think the best player was on Tipman Effect? Who was your best teammate? My best teammate? Um, Mostly talent-wise, not just the guy who did everything for you, but who was the best player on that team? Talent-wise. Okay, so um, I would have to say, because there was a lot of talented guys on there, but there was also uh, some guys on the team uh, that were along for the ride. Um, Mm -hmm. A friend of mine... Yeah, a friend of mine that was pretty good was uh, was Michael Carroll. He's the one who got me into it, but he he kind of plateaued a little bit. Um, I would say Cody Smick, um, honestly. I, I would say Cody. I, I played with him in a seven man event at IEO. I wasn't like I wasn't teammates with him all the time. Like currently, through all of my Tipman effects, it was only for like that tournament. But I would say like play the person I played with on Tipman effect. When I was on the team and he was on the team, what well, probably Cody. Cool. Yeah, he's a baller from yeah. what I remember, and I was a little-ass kid then. But uh, did you get the chance to play with Josh Dempsey? Dempsey. Dempsey, Dempsey. It was, like, was he on um, Lockout? Yes, Lockout and Rhythm. And and uh, Detroit Thunder in original NXL. Yes. Vicious snake front player. That's right. So I'm I'm almost hundred. My memory's fuzzy, but I'm almost positive that I played with him with Big City and Chad Rule on the seven man team when we Chad went Rule. pro. I'm I'm almost yeah. positive. I'm I'm way more of like a face person. Yeah, like yeah. like if I if I look at you and I go, I can't recall your name right now, but yeah, I know yeah. who I I recognize you hundred percent. He's a quiet, soft-spoken guy, so I could see after 20 years you might forget about him. But if you saw him, you'd remember. And he's even if he doesn't touch a gun for a year, he's lethal. That was like Buddy's other apprentice and longtime friend, uh, vicious guy. So the part two of that was so I just wanted to see your tip and effect guy. But in your career, no particular order, best three paintball players you've ever played with that I've played with or best against three. or with with. Um... Yep. Against Man. is too broad. Your teammates, like, damn, this guy was amazing. We would pull out shit. Uh, Neil Eberly with uh, with excessive was yep. quietly nasty, but I mean, just amazing. Uh, this no is in no order, too, by the way. Yeah. Um, I would say I'd say Neil, um, Danny Tiljack. Uh, Till Jack was 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 awesome, and man, there's so many. But I would also say, man, Roger Hen. Roger Hen from Avalanche. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I played with a lot of guys on 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 uh, AfterShock, who were amazing players. Um, Avalanche, yeah. who were amazing players. All the team had all the teams I played for had had amazing players on there. But I think a lot of them. I think there were some unsung heroes that I don't think get enough credit. And I think uh, I think Roger Hen, Danny Tilljack, and Neil Everly were three guys that, on any given Sunday, any given weekend, any given tournament day, layout, game, whatever, were just at their game, you know, all the time, and were just on. Um, no, no res- disrespect for anybody else. I did not name. But uh, those those three guys to me like stand out, and I don't think uh, got enough credit for sure. I mean, Danny, Danny did, but he, uh, I just don't think they were just as household names as as I thought they would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. They weren't in the limelight as much because they were like the role players on big roster teams. But uh, they're all, I'd say they're all very underrated. Like I thought Neil Eberle was the low-key underrated, one of the best back players of all time. Mm-hmm. I got to play a mech seven man event with him at Capital Edge and even still to this day the dude's got it like <laughs> he's, if he's you're nasty, playing seven yeah. man he's the eighth man on the field because he talks so much about everything happening so mm. some player that's a that's a great list yeah yeah dude it's and I miss them all man I miss them all they're all they're all, all had awesome experiences with uh with every team and with all the with all the, all the rosters were were amazing oh yeah very cool yeah oh, good choices yeah, dude, I uh, I hate to cut it short, but I gotta I gotta wake up at five in the morning. I have to wake up at five in the morning and then drive two and a half hours, no, two hours and forty five minutes to uh, North, no, Southeast Columbus for mm-hmm. uh, for work tomorrow. Not exciting at all. Long, boring drive, but yeah, I gotta get a little bit of sleep. Totally feel you. I actually got to wake up in five hours and get to the airport to fly to Cancun for a UWL 10-man event. Oh, that sounds terrible. That yeah. sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, it's horrible. I know. Dude, thank you so much again. I appreciate it 100%. And, um, and uh, yeah, if you have anything, uh, any advice for anybody, and where can people find you on uh, social media? Yeah, so obviously real quickly uh, – Big thanks, shout out, endless gratitude to all my sponsors, uh, HK Army, my longest lasting sponsor for since I was a little ass kid and done so much for me as I've talked about, uh, DLX, um, currently on Aftermath and hopefully for the longest time because I love it, uh, and APX Paint and Mike Hinman, um, Alex, Jerry, all the guys from Aftermath and APX, great paint, great organization, thank you all so much. Um, thank you all my fans, friends, family, anybody who's ever supported me and believed in me. Um, you can find me and my stories, tournaments, and travels, uh, such as this Mexico event coming up at uh, Instagram, Joe Barrett 50 It's just my name with my number, 50. Or you can search my name on Facebook. Uh, I think on my Instagram, I have like my travel blog, too, if you want to do some reading. Um you can always message me if you want any tips, advice, stories. You can give me a call. I really don't care if I'm free. Um, thank you, Transfuse, for Ooh. keeping me hydrated and healthy. I love this stuff. Uh, thank you, Freeflow and Buddy, for uh, the personal sponsorship. I get to shoot the best, highest quality uh, autococker in the world at these mech events. So I'm excited to get to bust that thing back out again. And uh, as always, my constant message is... Uh, you know, chase your dream and be positive all the time. Like undying commitment to positivity and you'll live what you want to live. Oh yeah, brother. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, dude. Uh, safe travels and, and wreck house. Will do. Thanks, Carl. Take care, brother. Later. See ya. Thank you, Joe, man. I, I, I appreciate it 100%. It was, it was a pleasure talking to you, bud. And the best of luck in the 2021 season. Um, make sure you guys hit him up. Check it out. Check it out, meaning his Instagram. And uh, follow him on his travel blog and everything. The, the guy's all over the place. It's, uh, it's really cool to see somebody having so much fun uh, with, with something that they love to do. I'm going to drink my tea right now. Oh, that was a mint leaf right in my mouth. All right. 
A big shout out to Milavio. Guys, please, if, you, if you're looking at trying out any kind of CBD, make sure you hit Melavio up. That's M-E-L-L-O-V-E-O. And try out really anything that they have, have up there. Anything that's going to tickle your fancy. And by that, if you're having uh, any kind of pains, you can use the topicals. You can use the, uh, the, the tinctures, uh, the capsules. Any, really, any way that you can take in CBD, they have on their website and also if uh, if they are or if you are local to them and uh, you know they can help you out if your pet is not feeling great they have CBD for your pet as well so please give them a shout that's M-E-L-L-O-V-E-O dot com and again if you want 15% off your entire order all you have to do is type in capital T-P-O-P and you'll get it everything in your cart Boom, right then, right there. Uh, so thank you, Melavio. Uh, also, another little shout-out to Charm City Paintball. Quality over quantity. All headbands and all head wraps are all limited. Make sure you go over there and check them out. And uh, and I, I promise that you will find something that you will fall in love with. And once you get it in your hands, you will cherish what he uh, what he makes and what he creates. It's amazing. It's It's art for your forehead. It's sweet. So thank you to all of our sponsors. And again, just like every episode, I would like to project my gratitude for all of my listeners. And um, thank you guys so much for sticking it out. It has been uh, awesome. Every time. Every time I get feedback, it's been amazing. And uh, it's just awesome to be able to do this and to be in a position where I can share stories and uh, just help people out in general. So guys... And gals, please stay safe. Uh, Do not text and drive. Keep your eyes on the road. Listen to podcasts like this one. And we'll see you again here soon on the Playing On Podcast. Peace.